This is JD here, bringing you another WrestleCast episode from the Red Leaf Retrocast. It's episode 42, very happy to be here, titled Kings of the Tag Festival. If that's any indication, we got a solid show for you today, uh, featuring all the wrestling from around the world every two weeks. And I'm going solo for much of this one today, so I can get the content out to you in a timely manner this time. This will not be another five-hour episode. This will be significantly shorter. Today we got, for the first time ever, Gato Move we're talking about. We got more Ice Ribbon, Chikara, GCW. We got our wrestling spotlight. We got our weekly wrestling with my mom, whom, as I'm recording this right now, I uh, just got off the phone with. She's going to be watching AEW very fresh. Hopefully she remembers much more this time. Following all the weekly stuff up with All Japan Women. Keeping up with the classics there. I got a Beyond Sodom and Gomorrah show that took place in New Jersey at the House of Independence. More Dragon Gate coming your way. Stardom. WXW had their tag festival. New Japan had the Kings of Pro Wrestling. And of course, rounding the show out with a... Episode from WCW Nitro, Blast from the Past. So, without further ado, let's get the Kings of the Tag Festival episode right on the way. So, there's been a lot of news coming out in the world of the Joshi Wrestling, the sale of stardom to Bushi Road, the people that own New Japan Pro Wrestling, is the big move. I'll get to Julia's news in a second when I get to Ice Ribbon. Maybe I'll even save that until I get to stardom later in the show. But, special thanks to, uh, on Twitter, Calvinist Eeyore, not Eyesore, Calvinist Eeyore, uh, a big Gato Move fan, uh, gave me a bunch of match recommendations. Uh, it's Emi Sakura's promotion that's based out of Thailand, but they do a lot of shows over on uh, Shinkiba's First Ring. Uh, they do much of their shows from a place called Ichigaya Chocolate Square in Tokyo. Houses like 50 to 80 people. It's not, not very big. I'll describe that in a second. The whole promotion has been, uh, since the start of, I want to say July, it seems, putting a lot of their shows, a lot of their past shows available free on YouTube. And now it's coming out in, in a very timely matter, essentially a match a day. Uh, that's the over on the Gato Move YouTube channel. So I went on a special binge watch se- session, end up watching uh, two of the most recent shows as well, uh, with all these recommended matches. So let me describe what Ichigaya Chocolate Square is <laughs> from an outside perspective. It is an isometric camera to what uh, what appears to be a classroom. That's all the tables ha- have been removed, and it's it's just uh, some chairs housed around a what I could describe as a giant mattress. It's not definitely not a wrestling mat. It is a giant mattress that has been taped over and repaired many times over, and this mattress is on the side of a wall. So all the chairs are surrounding uh, the the mattress, and the wall, and the wall actually has two giant windows. No glass or anything, they're just, they're just open window spaces. And there's 
people standing uh, on the outside of the windows looking into this classroom of sorts. Uh, there's a an electronic booth on the on the left window that's kind of right there. There's the timekeeper and all that has all the uh, equipment, and there's fans there. So this is very unique. And there are matches that do take place occasionally at uh, in in Shinkiba uh, over at the rings there, but for the most part, a lot of these matches are in this chocolate square. <clears throat> so the first match is from August twenty eighth. Uh, the show it featured a couple debut matches of the young talent that Emi Sakura and Gato Move uh, have been training. One was Rin Rin versus Emi Sakura, and the other was Lulu Pencil versus more Gato Move veteran in Uni- Yuna Mizumori. Mizumori. So, Rin Rin looks to be about in middle school, and she has a decent grasp of the basics, uh, you know, a lot of roll-ups, Emi Sakura really taking her through the motions, and it was a it was an okay debut match. Uh, there was a few other Rin Rin matches that I checked out. You know, maybe when she's older, she can, you know, grow up a little bit and show us a little bit more what she can do, but for now, she's got a grasp of the basics, and we're moving on. Now, Lulu Pencil, from the same show... <laughs> How do I describe Lulu Pencil? She is a skinny, mm, taller, dorky version of what a wrestler is. She wears suspenders in her uh, silhouette picture that's on the thumbnail of these things. She has a uh, oversized cap that she's wearing. So she's got a very unique look. And her whole shtick is that she's a dork and not athletic. <laughs> she has trouble lifting people up she has trouble running like everything she does looks dorky and it's kind of her charm Uh, occasionally she'll pull out a shock wrestling move and the crowd will pop so she's she's quite over with the crowd definitely not my kind of wrestler but man it's it's a it's something though something to behold Yuna Mizumori really, uh, really sold for Lulu Pencil quite well in her debut match. Maybe over time, uh, this this character will grow on me. But for now, it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Let's see what happens. Moving on to September 10th was a match of uh, this is over at uh, Shinkaba First Ring. Emi Sakura versus Hikaru Shida. And this is exactly what you would expect it to be, a very good wrestling match. Hikaru Shida is phenomenal. Emi Sakura, you know, in her advanced age now, in her um, mid to late 40s, she can she can still go to an extent. Uh, she definitely has um, her arsenal down pat. She's all about trying to entertain the crowd. She She's almost on, on this comedy gimmick uh, to, to sell us to what she's been doing. Uh, within Gato move here. So, she uses her power against Hikaru Shida. Hikaru Shida is young and just as powerful, much more mobile. Regardless, uh, it was a good match. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Emi Sakura is very entertaining and Shida is excellent in the ring. Probably should have wrote, written down who won these matches because honestly I don't remember it. it. was a big. They all kind of ran together at this point. I believe Sakura beat Shida. Uh, I watched the entire Gato Move September 14th show. It's uh, it's titled Number 4. Um, 
all of them took place, all of the ones from here on out took place at the Ichigaya Square. So there was a triple threat of Emi Sakura, Chon Shiru versus Antonio Honda. So it's two dudes versus Emi Sakura, and this is everything you can imagine a comedy match being. Emi Sakura's old, Antonio Honda's uh, a jokey caveman-looking guy, and then Chunshiru is well, more or less along those same lines, and they basically made fun of everyone's age. It was kind of it was very entertaining. Uh, one match that I highly enjoyed was the second match on that show, which was Crystal and Mitsuru Kono versus Yuna Mizumori and Saki. Now, Yuna Mizumori and Saki are the tag champions, and uh, I loved the use... This was what, more or less, I was hoping for. Not comedy in my face all the time. Uh, Crystal is, I believe, a foreigner that's come into work. Uh, I believe Devi Keitel has history with coming in to work with Gato Move. Uh, but this was a very good tag team match. It's very interesting, the dynamics between using the walls for certain maneuvers, using the wall for tag team, uh, working in and around the crowd in such a small space, uh, using the wall as a rope break. You have to uh, tag your partner in as they're in the corner of the mattress. And I really like the dynamic of Yuna Mizumori and Saki. They, they are excellent together. They bring out the best in their opponents. So, and they retain the tag titles. And the main event was Mei Suruga, Suruga versus Masahiro Takanashi. Now, this was an intergender match, and it was... Uh, Takanashi is a veteran, you can tell. The way he moves, the way, way he uh, emphasizes a lot of the opponent's moves, sells very much overindulgent for the tiny uh, 20-year-old Mei Suruga who's only been wrestling a few years. And what I was able to see, what Takanashi was able to bring out of the young gun was incredible. She moves incredibly fast. She has a dy- dynamic to her, uh, whether it's the drop kicks, uh, the the roll-up pins. Uh, it's, it's very much at an advanced level for how long she's been in the business. She really impressed me here. <clears throat> played the underdog extremely well. Uh, definitely a standout in the whole Got to Move promotion. Uh, the September 23rd match of Yuna Mizumori versus Chi Koishikawa. Um, not very memorable. I, I haven't gotten on the Yuna train yet. Um, she's still... She's a bit too slow in the ring. Uh, so a lot of the things look kind of forced. You wait too long for a lot of a lot of maneuvers being pulled off. Uh, the tag match is definitely her specialty. When I watched quite a few singles matches with her that I won't get into, uh, but there there was a match against uh, Mitsuru Kono that I watched uh, that impressed me much more. But Yuna, they definitely rely on Yuna as the veteran of Gato Move. To, to train and get people over and, and practice the matches in. Now, on to October 4th, got to move 8. Uh, this is where Emi Sakura faced off a bit against Mitsuru Kono, and Mitsuru Kono, to me, along with Mei Suruga, are the top two in this promotion. Uh, these two go to a 10-minute draw, and Kono 
uh, is she's got the look, she's got the power, she's got the aura about her. And Emmy Soccer going to a draw with her definitely proves that <laughs> I think she thinks the same thing. Uh, there was a six-man tag match on that same show. This is where I saw Rin Rin kind of more uh, in that learning process. It's definitely like watching a an up-and-coming talent in uh, stardom, such as the Leo Onizaki, uh, um, among others. You get what I'm going with. Uh, but Saki and Yuna are in here, so she's with the tag champs. Uh, they defeat Chi, uh, Chie Koshikawa. Masaru Takanashi and Mei Suruga, so they got to go up against each other. And then, um, singles match of Hikaru Shida facing off against Sayaka Obihiro. Uh, this one went just under 10 minutes, and this was Hikaru Shida's last match in Gato Move before moving permanently over to AEW and living in the States. Sayaka Obihiro apparently came back from injury. She's got this MMA-type background and incorporated into her wrestling. She's got kind of bummed-out knees, so she moves very stiff. So that was the... That's what Shida had to overcome to get the best out of Sayaka. Now, what I liked about this match, and I was waiting for watching all these Gato Move matches taking place in this classroom with open windows, I was waiting for the window to come into play Every single time, and it finally did, where Sayaka would get up on the windowsill, uh, do drop kicks off it. Uh, she, at one point, did one where she did this like taekwondo maneuver as she ran through the window from the outside and kicks Shida coming in. Very cool stuff. I want to see more of that. Uh, I do like the whole wall run finisher Yuna Mizumori has, where it's a wall run splash. It looks pretty cool. Now, when I saw her in a match in the uh, Shinkiba ring, didn't come across as well. Just a, a splash using her bigger body. I didn't like it so much. But Shida and Sayaka have a... It's an okay match. Definitely the highlight was when they fight outside, they come, across, they come around through the crowd, and then everybody in Gato Move kind of gets their lick in on Shida, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, whether it's... Um, Slapping her nose, chopping her chest, forearming her neck, and then of course when Emmy Soccer comes in, she's the one that gets hit out of everybody because she's she's the old jokester, <laughs> can't get it over anymore. It's kind of it was really funny, but Sheeta does end up getting the win with her signature maneuvers, the the Flash Magic Knee, front Flash Magic Knee, and uh, yeah, that was Sheeta's last match. So Gato moves uh, definitely an easy watch. You know, just a quick ten minutes here and there out of your day. Uh, or just pick and choose the matches. Uh, there's definitely a lot to love here. I'll be watching it going forward when when um, some matches stick out. I'll just get, hey, there's some Gato Move matches to check out. Uh, I was definitely a big fan of the Shida. Uh, the two Shida matches, Mitsuru Kono and Meisugura are the two standouts from here. They really impressed me with what they were capable of. And this is also the promotion where Riho comes from. So... If you're asking yourself when you're watching Riho wrestle in stardom or AEW and you go, she moves really funky and kind of awkward in the ring. Well, this is why. It's because she, she has so many matches in this just tiny, tiny space and has to move differently in order to entertain the crowd differently. It's uh, This is why she's much better at the quick roll-ups, the flash pins, uh, this high-speed type things. Um, why her moves look like they... They come up short and they're not totally flashy. 
or they look flashy in a still picture. This is why. So every everything makes more sense now. But moving on, so watch more Gato move going forward. Moving on, as I play my next my drop here to get to Ice Ribbon. Yes. Ice Ribbon 994 Yokohama Ribbon taking place September 23rd, 2019. Uh, not a not a huge card, not compared to the last Yokohama show. Uh, there was a nice little tag match of Tsukasa Fujimoto and Tsukushi uh, teaming up together to take on the Hoshi sisters. Uh, went 14 minutes. Uh, the Hoshi sisters, not very good, but somehow... Uh, the the tag team dynamic of Fujimoto and Tsukushi worked way better because they controlled so much more of the match against the Hoshi sisters. So the Hoshi sisters never had to, quote-unquote, take control, and then therefore their moves uh, were highlighted. Instead, it was mostly Fujimoto and Tsukushi would work them, they'd hit one move, instead of chaining three or four together, unlike what we saw at uh, Ice Ribbon 992. But nevertheless, Fujimoto and Tsukushi pick up the win, so maybe they're going to be a tag team going forward and going after the tag titles. The main event was the International Ribbon Tag Title Match, uh, Azuri Revolution gunning for uh, their uh, tag titles that they lost to Burning Raw, that's Julia and Takiya Saya, and... Uh, I watched this match twice. It took place uh, in 17 minutes, 25 seconds. And the first time I watched it, I was not impressed. I couldn't figure out why. Because they didn't really do anything wrong. Then I watched it a second time. And this is where... I This is where I believe why it didn't come across well the first time I watched it. There's a lot of Risa Sarah versus Takiya Saya in this 1v1. It's a good three-fourths of the match. 75%, if you will. The Maya versus Julia at the start of the match, more or less in that in that starting sequence, was fantastic. It was great, kicking each other. The uh, at one point, Julia uh, not, uh, Maya Yukihi pulls off a uh, black blackout slam, Lance Archer style, on Julia, which was done really well. So Maya's continuing to add to her arsenal of maneuvers. Um, mostly working the back and the head, so there is a psychology to it all. But yeah, most of the match was Risa Sarah against Saya uh, going back and forth. I think this is playing off, if I remember correctly, because Saya pinned Sarah last time, so Sarah wanted to uh, get a sort of match revenge on her, prove that you know she's the one to take the title off, plus Sarah's the one that just lost, lost the... Um, uh, Infinity title match against Maya, so, hey, tag partners can face each other, and being that this is a very tag-team-heavy show for episode 42 here, why not? I like a good good uh, tag-team dynamic where they can be competitive against each other and still work together at the same time. So, Risa Sarah and Saya, on two occasions, two separate occasions, when I, there wasn't a lot of tag-team... Uh, double teaming going on here. Not a lot of tag maneuvers, unlike their last match. It was very much 1v1. Occasionally, uh, Julia would come in, 
break up the pin, flying in. She did a really good job at that. Or Maya coming in and kicking the head off of Saya uh, so Sarah could get control. That was basically the extent, extent of it all. Uh, what I didn't like was, for sure, sequences where Saya would hit one of her big maneuvers. You know, the uh, reverse pedigree slam. And then she'd go for her tequila shot finishing maneuver or something along those lines. And this happened on both, both this happened both ways. Uh, the other person would immediately get up, counter into a move of their own, and it would just rinse and repeat these motions. Now the ending sequence was was pretty okay, where there was finally a tag team maneuver. Uh, Saya would kick out, and then Sarah would hit her Emerald Fusion Bomb, and um, that ended the match. Oh, we got new tag team champions. And I very much questioned this move, because I thought Julia and Saya were going to have these titles forever. Like, at least for the rest of the year. You know, build up the tag division more, build up contenders. Well, as I found out, you know what, I'll just get into this now. Uh, I won't save it for stardom. As I found out, Saya is retiring. Uh, and, and as of this podcast, I believe she's officially retired. Now, uh, Saya's original plan was she was going to wrestle for only three years, and at the end of the three years, she was going to retire. Saya is also head of uh, the Peace Parties, um, where it's the veterans against the Young Guns show, and then Saya also has a bar next to the Ice Ribbon Dojo. So she's very much a part of this promotion. What happens with Ice Ribbon with Saya leaving is uh, a huge mystery. So things things and plans do change over time. But Saya stuck to her guns and she's retired. So, yeah, okay, they had to take the tag titles off her. But then something happened with Julia. Shortly after this show, uh, Typhoon, uh, the Typhoon hit. And it was there was supposed to be T- Saya's retirement show. And my theory is Julia losing her best friend to retirement... Uh, you know, Burning Raw was a tight, tight, tight team, tight tandem. They clearly had fun with their electric light, light, light bright jackets, channeling the dynamic duo of the past. We'll get into the dynamic duo later. But Julia showed up at a stardom event hours at mere, just a mere hours after asking for her release from Ice Ribbon. Crazy. Now there's some legal issues going on. Uh, with that, I do, uh, for now, the Stardom Julia move is on hold, but Ice Ribbon's not happy with Julia. They've been totally taken by surprise. Uh, it was a rookie mistake to go about it in this certain way. Uh, I don't expect to see Julia in Ice Ribbon uh, for the foreseeable future, or ever again, for that matter. Uh, we'll see. But Azure Revolution are the new tag team champions, Maybe that'll lead to a nice match of Fujimoto versus Tsukushi. I do have written down there were a couple shows in September that did take place before all this mess happened. There's a um, 996 match in Skip of Julia versus Mayu uh, Ozaki, who I'm very high on. She's still in the undercard. And then there's 997 Saya versus Fujimoto, which I would imagine is a uh, retirement send-off type match uh, for sure. So there you go. <clears throat> Ice Ribbon, uh, 
had a big one-two punch happen happen to them. Unfortunately, I hope they recover. It's going to be tough. They got they really got to push the the daylights out of Tsukushi, and in my opinion, Miami Ozaki a lot more. Maybe Rina Yamashita starts making more appearances. Um, maybe they bring in more wave wrestlers uh, or seedling. Maybe they strike a deal with Marvelous. I believe that's Chigusa's promotion, actually. So, But yeah, uh, Ice Ribbon doesn't have enough young talent that's ready to go up the card. And they got to really push um, more people to be up the card now. Especially with basically two of their top drawing talents just gone within a week. Uh, Alright, moving on to the next segment here we go gotta mark my timestamp gotta mark it and then i gotta play my drop where are you where are you there it is Yes, day has come. If you remember from the last episode, if you listened to it all, bravo if you did. No reason you had to. Chikara had their King of Trios tournament over three nights. Uh, Before the previous podcast, I'd only covered the first two nights. Well, here's night three. A mostly confusing and dull night, I say, unfortunately. There was no Dasher Hatfield nor Boomer on the show to continue the story from night two. No blank on the card, wondering where that's going. The list goes on. The story here felt like a bunch of makeshift matches, uh, like a really drawn-out tag gauntlet match with too many small tidbit stories to keep up with, or care about for that matter. Uh, There was a decent filler match of Grace defeating Lady Frost, whom I got to see live at uh, Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory recently, so they had a decent match. But it felt like a lot of filler throughout the show. There was the Rey de Voladores finals. Uh, that was the Whisper defeating Alex Zane via the Chikara special. Uh, as the story would put it, to passively, aggressively stick it to leader Ophidian. How dare he? Uh, but the crowd is very 50-50 on the Whisper. Very, everyone's behind Alex Zane. He is the big, the big dude right now on the indie scene. A big dude. The Whisper just isn't quite getting over. I like him personally. I like what he brings. His I like his shtick. I like his gimmick. Uh, I don't know what whether it's... I don't know what's the story with the Whisper not getting over as much as it is. But a decent match. Uh, I get the story they're telling for the Whisper and uh, the Crucible Ophidians group. Um, but the crowd... Here it is. I think it's because... The Whisper's been a heel for so long, and they're doing this pseudo-subtle change with him, but because he's still part of the Crucible, the most hated group in Chikara, they can't get behind a heel-turning babyface without a more compelling element to it. So, I think that's the that's why. But on to the finals of the King of Trios... Uh, the Crucible did defeat the Four Nations to become the 2019 King of Trios winners. Four Nations lose yet again in the finals, back-to-back years. The Crucible did defeat the Colony in the semifinals. 
uh, as well to really stick it um, to the crowd and continue the story of Ophidian versus Quackenbush. I thought it was going to build to something more of um, a season finale type thing, but the season finale is taking place on November 9th, so I guess the Hatfield story, we're going to finish there. The Crucible against Quackenbush is going to finish there. Um, so <clears throat> the interesting part is Whisper comes out afterwards, and he says he's cashing in his title shot because he won the Voldorus, uh Cup. Now the question is, well, Ophidian... Uh, use his ability to claim that right as well, because he has three wins. So I fully expect Ophidian to just insert himself in that match, try to do like a finger poke of doom kind of thing with the Whisper. The Whisper will, you know, that will be his turn moment to finish out the season. He'll go babyface. Um, Quackenbush and the Whisper will, you know, hug it out kind of situation. Something along those lines will happen. Who knows? Maybe Hatfield will end up defeating them both, and that'll play into the Boomer thing. So there's a dynamic there happening. We'll see what happens heading into that fin- finale. Uh, no drop gonna play here, but uh, yeah, I went to night two. That was definitely the better night to go for Chikara. Uh, not the best King of Trios, I, I must admit. Nice and fast on that one. No drop heading into the next segment. It is GCW Curtain Call event by request of JPQ from the No Particular Angle podcast. So go check him out. Uh, he had me on to discuss all the ice ribbon, stardom, just f- news stuffs over there in his podcast. It was very, very good. You're welcome, JPQ. I know, I know you uh, did very well. Over there. But uh, I watched the whole show. But there's really only two matches I I really want to talk about. And that's one, Jungle Boy defeating Jake Atlas. Newly WWE NXT signed Jake Atlas, by the way. So we got AEW versus WWE going here. But Jungle Boy wins via uh, a roll-up in a great opening showcase match for Atlas. And Jungle Boy's send-off as he fully goes to AEW now. Uh, From what I understand, it's not as good as their PWG matches. But I finally got to see what these two are capable of in their tandem together. And it's no wonder people speak so highly of both Jungle Boy and Jake Atlas. They get each other. But the match that was that's highly recommended is definitely the Tony Deppin versus David Starr. Tony Deppin defeats David Starr. And Starr's latest matches over the last month or so has seen an extreme high amount of lariats. He's really trying to get this lariat over. His Stan Hansen, if you will. This match was no different. Put that up against Deppin's arsenal of knee strikes, it molded very well. Mr. Independent versus unhinged kooky GCW love Deppin uh, did not... Whoa. Calm down, documents. Uh, they didn't have a story other than these two were, were here to beat the shit out of each other and prove who is the bigger independent star that second part might be for my own making but nonetheless that's what i took from it lots of forearm exchanges as well awesome april apron uh reverses and eventually picked up 
to that next gear to make the match go from good to great when Deppen was running when Deppen hit his running inside out coffin drop onto Star onto the floor. This just exploded the crowd to not to, to all the way to the finish. Deppen takes all of Star's best moves, kicks out, hits Star with a shining wizard to win a pure independent wrestling match at a high level. I definitely recommend this. I am very much turning the corner on Tony Deppen. Uh, Possibly seeing him live week in and week out on Uncharted Territory over on Beyond Wrestling. Uh, that could have something to do with it, but this was easily Tony, the, the best match I've seen from Tony Deppen. I've seen this guy live like five times over the past month. <laughs> so there you go. Ah, I have a drop to play for this one. So GCW, I'm not the biggest GCW fan. You know, Nick Gage had his crazy hardcore match. There's other hardcore matches on there. Uh, Dickinson, like, got his face busted open at one point, the skull. Uh, but I, you know, if I don't, if I, if I, since I watch so much Beyond Wrestling, if I watch GCW, there's just too much crossover there for my liking, and, uh, GCW is more of, for a deathmatch promotion. It's like what CZW should have been. So, if there's anything that's highly recommended in the future, I'll rely on you guys, the audience, to get me into a, another GCW show. So next drop, here we go. Alrighty, guys. Uh, NXT WWE NXT USA Live October second episode two. Uh, fine show, no real qualms about it. It's another, uh, it's another example of WWE trying to pull out a counter-programming show. This time, not as much uh, throw... It's, it's just like they're throwing shit at the wall. This is playing off episode one, where Valter uh, and Imperium kind of ruined Kushida's coming out party onto the show. So, Valter and Kushida are having a match here in the main event. It's the only match I want to talk about. Valter's uh, awesome. It is because he's not roped into the WWE style. He's really staying out of it. Because uh, he's still working the indies, he's still staying in uh, Germany, he's still living there, so he's not getting diluted. While Kushida, on the other hand, while he's still really fast in the ring, and he's good, he's off-key. Uh, he's adjusting to that WWE style where where it goes from speed to high spots to holds and slowdowns, rinse and repeat. Very noticeable. Coming off of seeing Kushida the last God knows how many years I've been watching him. This was not his best showing. He did slip on the ropes once. He appears to have injured his wrist uh, as well, unfortunately. But Valter manages nonetheless throughout the match. He wins in the end doing his Valter things. Slap him hard. Simple moves that look like he kills the smaller guy. Uh, it was, it, it reminds, it's, it's every single big guy, little guy match in WWE you can imagine. And outside of the Tyler Bate Valter match where they're very much at the top of their game, their arsenal is very much kind of made where the WWE style doesn't impede on it too much. When Kushida isn't a lot, seemingly allowed 
to use his speed to take down the bigger guy rather than the bigger guy just kind of selling, selling, selling and just being that tree that isn't quite falling over and then one hit down, hold for a while. Not a fan of it. Kushida's very much about going for the hoverboard lock, working the arm, and trying to hit speed moves. Now, while he was hitting the speed moves, he was getting in those holds. He was... uh, Going for a hoverboard lock, but there was no arm work. And you could kind of tell in the match where Volter's like, Hey, go after my arm, man, if you're just going to keep going for this lock. But that never happened. Maybe there was also a clash of languages going there, but who knows. Uh, The match was good, but I've seen way better from the two. And I could could just smell the WWE on it. It It just didn't, it doesn't jive right. That's my that's my opinion on the NXT. Uh, from here on out, unless there's a big standout match on NXT, I'm pretty much done with the weekly show. Uh, I got too much other things going on, so yeah, I'm the I'm the AEW guy going forward. Next segment, shall we? Play that drop. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. NWA Wrestler Spotlight, we're continuing on our quest going over all the United States champions of the NWA. This is champion number 17, Tully Blanchard, the 32nd reign, beating Magnum TA to gain it. Uh, This is on the way to... uh, uh, Blanchard would reign for 130 days from July 21st, 1985 to November 28th. 1985, losing it back to Magnum TA in that classic steel cage I quit match from Starcade that I went over in the previous cast because Magnum TA was the United States champion. So funny enough, he is the current manager of Sean Spears in AEW and of course the father of Tessa Blanchard. Most famous for being part of the Four Horsemen stable with Ric Flair, Ole Anderson, and Arn Anderson. So I reached out and did something different because I already watched the I quit match. I was like, ah, I already watched the NWA. I don't think I can. I don't think I can top that. So instead, I wanted to see uh, what my buddy Hibiki TMD over uh, he would suggest for a Tully Blanchard match, and he suggested two. The first match was from Championship Wrestling Florida CWF, a singles match against Mike Graham. I admit, I don't know much about Mike Graham, but he's a tiny jacked dude. Reminds me of a. Uh, 80s John Silver, if you will. This took place in the summer of 1981. And to put it simply, this was a showcase on how good Tully Blanchard was at selling. Uh, The way he would flip himself for arm drags, the way he would stagger around the ring to really put over another guy's punch. This was a great example of it. The crowd hated him. He's a great heel. Kudos, right? Good recommendation to show what Blanchard was capable of uh, when not in a main event type picture. Uh, Really takes after a lot of Ric Flair in the movement category. But the big match was definitely longtime tag team partner Gino Hernandez, the dynamic duo. They would come out with their electric jackets. Uh, This was from the Sam Houston Coliseum, November 20th, 1981, taking on the tag team of Mill... Moscaris and uh, 
Docaceres. Crazy good tag team match. Very simple. It's exactly what you'd expect out of the 80s, where the amazing Mexican duo of of Milandos just running around the ring, doing their thing, doing their lucha stuff, if you will. And meanwhile, Tully and Gino trying everything they can to be that classic heel persona and tag team. You could look at the revival, and this is what they this is what the revival would be in 1981. Uh, I love the pre-match promo that Tully Blanchard and Gino cut. Gino cut the usual yell at the mic. This is what we're gonna do. Money this, money that, whatever. But Tully, uh, he would he he had this cadence to him where he was very calm and collected on the mic. He'd look at the he'd look at the interviewer and just like, hey, I'm not talking to you. I'm lo- I'm talking to the people in the city of Houston right now, kind of deal. Just those simple little things Tully Blanchard's very good at, and all of his promos are along those lines. You know, he he puts he puts the interviewer down, I'm talking to you, the fans, and you, the fans, are the reason why whatever's happening right now is the problem. I am Tully Blanchard, pay attention to me and what I'm going to do in this ring to make you hate me. Great heel. There was no wonder why they put him in one of the top stables of all time, the Four Horsemen. And I love Tully Blanchard the Heel in AEW. I think he should bring back a Four Horsemen type, you know, four dudes, he's the manager situation with Spears, not at the helm, but he's part of that group. This needs to happen. Because Tully Blanchard is a star, and he's, he's, he's just one of those guys that has stood the test of time, and unfortunately, people have forgotten about since these days, if you do a little research on Tully Blanchard, there was a, there there's a lot of uh, animosity that came out of the wrestling business, a, a clash of ideals, clash of personalities situation in the NWA uh, when it was bought by World Championship Re- when it became World Championship Wrestling, uh, and he was sort of out of the ousted from the business, uh, unfortunately. Uh, great seller, great on the mic, uh, just an underrated type talent. Do I think he's world title material? Kind of what, what I thought Magnum TA was being groomed to? No. I think he's he was perfect for that mid-card, uh, upper mid-card heel that puts the up-and-coming good guy over and takes them to the next level. And that is okay. I said the same thing about Greg Valentine, where he is the good, he's like the opposite. He's the good guy to get that up-and-coming bad guy over, right? So, uh, d- never seen a lot of Tully Blanchard's ring work before this. I, I, I did watch a bunch more promos, a few more matches, but I'm going to use those two recommendations uh, from Twitter over at BullyingJD, Redley Fretchercast, that were used um, for me to get a better idea of what Tully did in the ring and his... and, and his charisma what that brought so yeah uh he's a he was a great u.s champion um definitely gonna go down as one of the guys i remember and associate with that title uh it's pretty crazy i was not expecting that going in i've, I've only heard good things about him really uh this definitely put him over in my eyes so yeah nice and nice and quick with the nwa now i do want to mention uh, I did watch NWA Power Episode 2. I'm sticking with it. And uh, 
Doken, hell yeah, best <laughs> best intro music in wrestling right now, no doubt. Uh, I think that's undisputed, if you will. Uh, the show was another good one. It's so easy to watch. The studio show uh, is so different. You know, there's no intro music. Uh, the promo between Eli Drake and James Storm putting over the importance of the of the uh, the, the the national title. How James Storm is treating it like a prop, and he should be gunning for the bigger title. Eli Drake comes out and he's like, "Hey, you need to te- teach. You need to teach this title with respect. You are the holder. You are at the top of the food chain. Uh, you are the number one contender as long as you have this." And with Tim Storm losing, that makes sense. There is no established number one contender next in line. So who's next? The next champion. It makes sense. The promos are done really well. Aaron Stevens, the former. Damian Sandow, he has this uh, theater persona about him while he cuts his his promo, uh, puts himself over, uh, puts himself over the crowd. Well, he he was directly interacting with it. That's something you definitely don't see in wrestling promotions today. Is that direct interaction with your entire audience rather than you're simply looking at the camera, turning your back to more than half kind of situation. Uh, Allison Kay had a good enhancement match with Oceania from Chikara, a.k.a. the Sea Star, a.k.a. Ashley Vox. I've seen her in Beyond. I'm a big fan of Vox. I think she's got a bright future ahead of her, but man, was that if that wasn't the best enhancement match for your women's champion, I don't know what is. Uh, and then we had we had our DQ finish tag team wild cards against uh, Kingston and Homicide. I forget what their indie tag team name was, but it works. I think it was like the uh, we'll call them the gangsters for now. But yeah, easy to watch. We had a uh, interview at to finish off NWA Power with Nick Aldis and Camilla. I think that's her name. Sure. Uh, really playing off the whole Aldis doesn't let her speak. And it's really getting under the skins of like the SJW, the whole 2019 persona. And she just simply tests the mic. Tap, tap, tap. Here, I'll do that. Tap, tap, tap. Make sure it's worked. And the interviewer's like, yeah, it works. And she just chooses not to speak. So this whole gimmick of her not speaking uh, and all this just kind of looks at her. We done here? Going to get your clickbait out of here? All right. Great stuff. I, I, I love everything I'm seeing from NWA Power. Oh, yeah. Fuck. The Ricky Starks. Where he beats Trevor Murdoch and, and does a great promo to put him over. The promos. These are going to be the best promos in wrestling. You know, the Chris Jericho one on AEW uh, was was like lights out. But when a whole show is good promos, non-scripted, they're, they're talking to the audience. I see nothing but good things from NWA Power going forward. I'll be uh, kind of ending the spotlight with just, hey, go watch NWA Power. There you go. Now, this is uh, where... I will slide over with uh, with my mom to talk the weekly wrestling recap. I'll catch you up on Beyond, MLW, and AEW with her. Get her thoughts over everything. And when we come back, we've got the major shows to talk about and some AJ, AJW. There you go. Yes, it is... Mom and JD time, talking about their weekly wrestling Woo! shows. Good to be back <laughs> for yet another episode. 
Exciting. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory is underway. We're uh, we're talking weeks two and three from my live experiences. Live? You were alive when you were watching live? I was alive when I was watching live. (laughs) Crazy. We got MLW episodes 78, 79, and then AEW episodes 2 and 3, the October 9th and October 16th, 2019 shows. Very cool. Which I went to the October 9th show because it was in Boston. 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 Gotta get that accent right. Yeah, Boston. Not that I could get it right because I'm not from there. No, you're from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. (laughs) That's why I have my Chicago accent. Right. With a little twang. How you been, Mom? <laughs> what? How you been? I've been good. I've been uh, kind of... Today is my day to lose my voice, I guess. Again. Oh, yeah? Because of Again? The funky, yeah, funky weather going on, I guess. With the I change suppose. being cold, Ooh. cool. You live in Texas. That's no such thing. I said cool. I didn't say oh. cold. I'm pretty cool. sure you said cold before you tried I to was, correct yourself. I was gonna say it, but I didn't. Uh-huh. All right. So, so what are we I talking to... about first? Are we talking about MLW or are we talking about AEW? Well, we're, I'm going to talk about the highlights from the live Beyond Wrestling shows I went to. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So there was a dark match on episode two in which I got to see Jordan Oliver, your favorite wrestler, live. Ah, ah very cool. <laughs> Yeah, he's not as skinny as he looks on TV. Really? Yeah, he's he's quite tall and lanky. That's uh, I think well, that's what I, gives him. I his could look. see that. I can yeah. tell that he's tall and lanky. But um, I've started I've started hair. my streak. <laughs> uh, I've started my streak of sitting or not sitting, but standing right at the ring, uh-huh. in the middle on the hard cam side. Uh huh. So. When you're watching live on IWTV, that is how you can watch Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory live, you can see me straight at the ca- like the the middle of the camera. I will be right at the ring, banging away. And <laughs> uh, yeah, episode two, I wore a luchador mask. Uh huh. That so that was that was me in the mask for the yeah. show the whole time, and I was double bearing it. I had a beer in each hand for the whole Excellent. show. Yeah. Gotta have beer. Gotta have beer. And they have good deals. They have like uh, $2 local beers, so excellent. Nice. Yep. Who's of course, the, what's every... the local beer? Ah, Sam Adams type stuff. There's also That's Whalers. Not local. And... <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some Rhode Island uh, type beers around. There's 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 a bunch of things. But everyone's really all about the uh, the hard seltzer drinks these days. Uh, Are you familiar with them? Mm-hmm. Yes? No? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. called White Claw. Or yeah. uh, what do they have? What do they have there? Uh, it's not bubbly. It's um. Is it liquor? Hard hard liquor? No, it's seltzer. Seltzer? Then I'm not yeah, familiar with it. What it's is like, that? It's it's hard seltzer. So it's um. So think of a Smirnoff ice type thing, but it's yeah. seltzer water that's alcoholic. So you can get like uh, a blueberry flavor. Because everyone's into the sparkling water and the flavored yeah, sparkling the, water. Yeah, it's the big new thing. So now so you they're see. making it the alcohol sparkling water. 
Right, exactly. Ah, now you're getting gotcha. it. So it's the hot new thing going around right uh-huh. now. So it's like you don't even taste that. You don't really know you're drinking alcohol. Well, so everyone's like a 13-year-old girl yeah, discovering I alcohol. Wonder, I wonder who their target is, age target is. Hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I so... just went straight to the bottle when I was 13. Forget the show. Oh. <laughs> I waited till I was legal Hardcore. in another country. <laughs> right. Just go for it. Forget yeah. about it. <laughs> so just right quick from these two shows that I went to, the top sh- top matches, okay. uh, the standouts, uh, was Nick Gage defeats John Silver in the opening match. It went just under 12 minutes. It was very hardcore. Crowd starts off hot. And uh, so Silver gets the shit kicked out of him. He loses, snubs Nick Gage uh, as, as he tried to shake his hand. He just snubbed him. He's aggravated about his losing streak mother. How could he? The uh. audacity of what a poor sport, didn't you say? <laughs> Couldn't believe the meat man stooped so low as to not shake the convicted felon's hand. Right. <laughs> uh, in the se- in the second match on the night, Bear Country, they're two big dudes. Uh, they're the tag team Bear Country. I think you would like them. Okay. They they broke a board in the middle of the ring during the match so the ring whoa. was fucked up for like half the show. Oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, two big dudes slamming well, down on this on this indie wrestling ring. What do they ring. weigh? They, about 350 each? So you got, what, 700 pounds? Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. That, sounds, that doesn't sound out of out of this uh, world. <laughs> hence the bear. Uh, yeah, so that so yeah, everyone was tagging me on Twitter and everything. JD, fix the ring. You're right there. I'm like, I'm trying. It won't move. <laughs> wow, that's pretty yeah, crazy. Like the, yeah, I watched it. It was like the board stood up right in front of me and then wow. came out like a good foot. And I'm like trying to push it back, me and this other guy, <laughs> during oh. the match. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a match I was looking forward to was Wheeler Yuta against Ace Austin. I've been mm-hmm. looking forward to Ace Austin for a little while. Uh, they only went six minutes, and it did not live up to my hype, huh. unfortunately. Uh, Ace Austin's quite good and fun to watch in the ring, but then I heard him speak for the first time live. And uh, do you remember Mike Tyson's voice? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. It's very high-pitched, and he has a lisp. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it really throws you for a loop Who, when uh, you see this. What, when you were um, at one of the matches, you were saying that all they had was girl-sized shirts. What match was that at? Because mm. you were gonna get a shirt, and they couldn't oh, even the, get a shirt. I think that was the. I think that was the Stardom show. Oh, okay. I was talking about yeah, in, in New York. I wanted. Yeah. yeah, but they only had super smalls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah. Sorry, I sidetracked you. It's okay. It's okay. The main event was Tim Thatcher against Eddie Kingston. Another match I was pretty hyped up for. It went almost seventeen minutes, and it wow. was. It was boring oh no yeah so I'm re- i was really excited for it i'm looking forward to like this catch wrestling style i'm, I'm a fan of that style mm-hmm. that's what tim thatcher specializes in mm-hmm. i've really come around i'm watching him live because he's very he grunts he's very big the problem was eddie kingston is quite mm, he's a veteran let's put it nicely that way okay so he just he can't move like he used to, uh-huh. so it was mostly just Thatcher kind of working around Kingston not being able to move. 
<laughs> so it was like, and then every yeah. once in a while they would they would hit each other real hard. You know that uh, slapping that you don't like. Uh huh. But I like, do like. It's kind of like watching a tree, and then the other guys ringing around them. <laughs> Uh yeah yeah so Basically. the crowd was mostly dead for the whole time and yeah oh that's too uh, bad th- yeah that was a bummer and that was but, seventeen eh. minutes of that yeah dang yeah, yeah so it, it really Boring. fell flat yeah and then the next week this past Thursday I probably could have gotten in the ring and made more excitement well I mean it would have been entertaining <laughs> to see you go up against Eddie Kingston just to see if you would survive. <laughs> Or anybody, for that matter, would have been more entertaining. <laughs> Let's just throw a bunch of people from the crowd, see what they can do with the tree. <laughs> throw my mother in there. All right, good luck. Let's see if she can take a hit. <laughs> Don't worry, Mom, it's fake. Oh! Right. <laughs> I forgot to tell you, half the ring's missing. <laughs> Is she alive? <laughs> And then the very next week, uh, this past Thursday, was was a much better show overall, I would say, with a great main event. Uh, Discovery Gauntlet, Tony Deppin is still winning, so um, waiting to see where this goes. Week in and week out, he keeps putting on, like, contender for match of the night. But uh, th- the match that stole the night was an almost 30-minute main event of David Starr versus Mercedes Martinez. Okay. Still there? Yeah. Yeah, you're still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm listening. So, this is an intergender match. What? Oh. Yeah. Man versus woman. And it was really good. Really? Like, yeah. So, David Starr is kind of... he's He's got this thing where he's he won't sign with a big company. He's making his living being Mr. Independent. Okay. Okay. Mercedes Martinez is a veteran of the indie scene, a woman who's really good, who's just never been signed. So she's had to make her living on the indie scene. And they finally faced each other in this ring, Kind of, and David Starr went on Twitter saying this is like a dream come true of his as an independent, like he's proud to be independent. Uh-huh. And uh, they just tore the house down. Uh, he treated her like another wrestler. You know, he didn't pull back any of his hits, and she took it. It was quite oh. something to see. Oh. Well, his chance to beat up a woman, I guess. Oh, gee. Well, I mean. <laughs> was, I, I just, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, you, you know? can put it that way. Let me fix my mic here. Hope something's I clicking away. I do that way because that's just wrong. Well, I, you I know, in, if she wants that, you know, they I mean that's what she wants to do. So good for oh, her. Oh, she definitely signed up for it. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. So she, you know, she's pretty butch then. <laughs> uh, well, she's Puerto Rican. Okay. And she's got a mean look to her. She's got a big lip ring in. Uh, they're about the same size. Mm-hmm. So, like, the whole comeback of her trying to beat the man, like the crowd was just. You, you know, so we watched who ultimately 17- won? David Starr ended up winning. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he he beat the woman. So and that's kind of a... What is the, kind of, what's the weight ratio? I mean, you know, what is, what's her weight compared to his? Is um, he overpower her? I would say, I would put David Starr... You know what? I'm going to 
check this actually because now I'm curious now that you asked uh, let's go to cage match David Starr because this was one of the best matches of like the past two weeks mm-hmm. um, okay so David Starr has him at 210 okay alright I think that's a little high then we'll just say 200 um and Mercedes Martinez is 150. So he's got like 50 pounds. Yeah, on. that's a lot. But they're they're the same height. Uh-huh. If I'm let's see, she's 5'7, so she's my height. And David Starr is No, okay, he's he's a little bit bigger. He's 5'11. Okay, so it's not really apples to apples on that. No. But in the ring, you know, because they're bent over a lot and all this, it looks very similar. Mm-hmm. They look very similar in mm-hmm. stature. Yeah. Uh, similar enough where you can suspend your disbelief. But So what was his move when he beat her? Um, hmm. Mm. I think he clotheslined her in the head real hard. Oh, shit. <laughs> Something like that. Like, uh, I actually don't remember the exact finish, but she kicked out of, like, everything he dished out, and then finally a move put her away. And, uh-huh. like, everybody clapped. Uh, he said some amazing words after the match like he was so happy to to wrestle her and she's a legend you know she's 38 years old she's at the end of her she's oh, approaching wow. the end of her career wow i, I would think like, so yeah i'm surprised I, I think, it lasted this long well i think AEW should sign her and make her champion immediately like i hold her in a very high regards myself hmm. you know and Get get her like one last run, you know, on a major company. Put her on TV, you know. Get get more people to know her. Basically, at this point. Yeah, but if she's getting ready to retire, she's thirty eight. She doesn't really have much time left on a ring. Maybe two years tops. But well, that's plenty of time. I say that's plenty of time. Yeah, I suppose. But you got to think that AEW, like anything, they they want to invest in you for you know a minimum of five years. But I also think her experience and what she can teach these younger women, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think that's invaluable. Yeah. You know? True that. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, two, good, two good shows. One great main event. One, in my opinion, bad main event. So uh-huh. let's move on to MLW. Your oh. your your show. Your, your my, time. My your time thing. My thing. Oh. So what? Uh, the first the uh, first match was uh, the tag team match. They were all tag teams basically. Tag teaming. Uh, so just a little context here. Uh, MLW has their partnership with a Mexican promotion called The Crash. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So The Crash sent some of their wrestlers for this episode. And then the next episode, it took place in Tijuana, Mexico. Right. At the crash. So. Ah, oh, gotcha. Uh, oh, okay. There. So that's what all that that was about. Gotcha. Um, so take us through it, Mom. Go for it. Sure. Got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we need to get this done. Yeah, we need to get going. Yeah, we need to get it done. Um, so the first match was Magnus with, uh, Lost Parks. 
Yeah, Magnus and Septimo Dragon against yeah, those Yeah, right, pucks. Septimo Dragon. Um, so right off the bat, I think L.A. Park was pretty much dominant on them. Um, I really did, I saw a lot more action on L.A. Park than I did Magnus Septimo Dragon. What do you think of uh, who was be, your favorite dude in this match? Was it L.A. Park? Um, for this one. Yeah, I suppose. You know, they're they're making themselves known. I I think they did a lot more as far as action mm-hmm. uh, than than Magnus and Septimo Dragon. I think they were just just there to be knocked around. <laughs> Though you know, Magnus and Septimo had some good good um, uh, good moves, like a, when they did a double cover. But that was near the end, you know, which was nice. The double cover. Mm-hmm. And, and a clothesline super kick. <laughs> um, oh, the corkscrew off the turn turnbuckle was pretty cool. That was nuts. That was crazy. Especially, I think it was L.A. Park who did it. The uh, and he's fifty years old, I think. Really? Or or forty? He's old. He he was in WCW back in the day. Let me double check his age. L.A. Park. He is. Yeah, he's fifty three. <laughs> wow, wow. He's doing and he's doing that uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. I like the Spanish fly and flying off the ropes into the crowd. That was pretty crazy. Yeah, I quite like this match. It was uh-huh. uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Let me just take just, this through. Uh, but, uh, you know, Selena ruined it <laughs> in order for them to win. Well, yeah, she gets in the ring, kicks the dude in the balls. and Yeah, Selena yeah. to the nuts is what I call it. Selena to the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's only like but, 21. Wow, she looks older. I thought she was in her, like, Late twenties, early thirties. Nah, she's younger than that. Wow. 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 All right. Let me just take it through the uh, the promos right here, right quick. Samael cuts a promo on Promociones Dorado because L.A. Park is gunning for Fatu. Uh, Dynasty are upset with their contracts and aren't going to Mexico next week. Spoiler: They do. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait a minute. What happened on there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't really follow up with that. I guess they just had to. <laughs> right. That, that, again, we just have to assume that, ah, oh my God, they got to. Um, no, that's in your contract. Then we, had, <laughs> then, then we had a match of Dominic Garini versus Ariel Dominguez. Garini wins via submission with an arm bar, and then he calls out Thatcher and Lawler. Uh, I don't have much to add other than that. Do you? No, that was like just a no competition. It was fast. Yeah. There was nothing yeah. much going on with that. Threw him around like like nothing, you know, which <laughs> he looked like he reminded me of an ankle biter. It was oh, so God. little. <laughs> yeah, the the size differential was quite Yeah, noticeable. it was stupid. It was, <laughs> it was stupid. It's like Rio and, and Baker, you know, I mean or that oh, that from the one from, from uh prior. Nyla? 
that it was such a mismatch when for the title. And I'm like, my God, that was so stupid. It was, I was amazed that she even won. She shouldn't have won. Rhea, uh, not a, still upset to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was stupid. It was stupid. Pissed me off. Made me mad. <laughs> Your boy's injustice. <laughs> yeah, injustice on that one. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, so we get Jordan Oliver. He's back for part two <laughs> in our lives. Uh, right. Him and his boys cut a promo about their victory being retroactively overturned from last week. Right. And how they are held back and that they are going to get their justice. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever. Then we wah, add the main wah, event. Wah. <laughs> Austin Aries defeats Brian Pillman Jr. via pinfall with a brain buster. Uh, thoughts on the main event? Um... Well, I was surprised, actually, that Austin Aries won. Really? I was, because Brian Pillman, um, I really expected him to win. And why did you expect him to win? Because he's with the Hart Foundation. And You thought he was going to get his revenge for his fallen friend? Yeah. Oh, well, that's not the story being told. Well... You know? What are you clipping over there? <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you cutting your toenails or something? <laughs> no, I'm just messing with the pen. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, I, w- I was worried about Hart when he came out and pounding on Aries and stuff. Well, they got to get us excited for their uh-huh. uh, pay-per-view match where yeah. Aries is trying to go for his title. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I quite, I quite um, liked it. I yeah. thought it was fun. Yeah. I, I knew he was coming out because he was in the house. I mean, duh. <laughs> That's like a no-brainer. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he's coming out. Um, but, you know, when I, when I look at the stats of, uh, you know, who had the most um, time doing damage Austin Aries by far went won that one he had a lot of a lot of moves against Brian Pillman so yeah I was just I was just not expecting that so surprise surprise I like surprises and then an episode I really enjoyed was the next one episode 79 where it was in Tijuana right so, Zelina, oh, this is how it opens. This was great. I absolutely adored this segment. Zelina's overhears the dynasty. They're they're outside. So, they're in Mexico, and um, the dynasty are telling jokes. They're like, Mexico? More like Mexicant? <laughs> so, I thought of you immediately, because you love that joke. <laughs> are, you, are you a Mexican or a Mexicant? Right. So, <laughs> Zelina walks by, and she's like, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> she's not amused. <laughs> So then the dynasty, the three of them, start, because they're douchebags, they start lifting, listing off, like, insults about Mexico. Mexican wrestling is awful. This country is a joke. It's a joke within a joke. Yeah, everyone's ugly, so that's why they wear masks. Just the dirt worst jokes. They're super lame. <laughs> right. And then, Selena, uh, then Go on. Doesn't, um, uh, what's his name? Hart, uh... Hammerstone. Hammerstone. Uh, comes out of the drugstore with his bag of drugs. Oh, yeah, drugs. that's later. 
We'll we'll get there. We'll oh, get there. Okay. That's a that's a later segment. Oh. Uh, but Zelina asks about their match getting revoked because they were supposed to face the Von Eriks. But then Holiday goes, no, 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 no. My lawyer slash father got us out of that. <laughs> they really emphasize slash father. Right. So Zelina kind of makes fun of him. She's like, oh, what about a match against Los Parks? Uh, they're just a couple Mexicans, you know, they're the awful people that you guys say. Uh, MJF and Holiday are like, I don't know about that. Hammerstone just he totally gets baited. Yeah, we accept. So right. they, they go off and Holiday and MJF's like, Why'd you accept that? How could you? That's stupid, stupid. And Zelina just goes, Bye, hope you don't get kidnapped. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it 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 was very corny, but it totally fit everyone's characters and it, right. it just felt oh, like yeah, it, it was, was it was funny. It was very entertaining, and it set up it set up all everything that it wanted to uh, for the night. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we get a match. Oraclio defeats Black Danger and Ricky Marvin in a three way. They had a match. Oraclio, Oraculo. He was way over with the crowd. Anything stand out to you in this match? His hair. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> My sentiments exactly. I don't have much to say over the match either. Well, moving on then. And then we got a... This is where the segments of them coming out of the drugstore. So we get another Dynasty segment. Right. Uh, so you, why, why don't you take this one away? Where am I on that one? Let's see. Oh, when they came out of the drugstore? I can't, I can't remember all that shit. Okay. Well, I'll take you it You do it. All right, so the camera cam, a camera guy's like found them like a, a paparazzi, and the dynasty's not in their usual fancy suits. They're in like <laughs> they're they're in their workout gear. Uh-huh. It's like, hey, dynasty, what are you guys doing? MJF just no, no, we're not dynasty. Pipe, pipe down, pipe down. We're not dynasty today. Why not? Why aren't you wearing your suits? And he goes, he goes, you know where we are right now? We're in Mexico. If we wore those suits, the poverty poverty line would be lined up around the block trying to get some money out of us. <laughs> And then MJF goes, yeah, come on, we don't want to get stabbed. So it's like all, it's it's kind of like the jokes and the stereotypes that you associate with Mexico. Absolutely. It's really, uh, I just yeah. cracked up laughing, laughing. Yeah. yeah. So they go, what are you doing at the uh, the pharmacy? And Hammerstone, like, gets a twinkle in his eye. He, he has this paper bag. He's like, oh, my God, he's all excited to show him. MJF and Holly's like, no, you can't show him that. It wasn't a paper bag. It was a backpack. It was oh okay. It was, yeah, a it was a backpack. I thought it was a paper bag. No, it was a backpack was... full of stuff. Yeah, he's like, oh, it's legal here. Like, <laughs> shut up! You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so then they all walk away with their with their bag of drugs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Dynasty two for two right here. I I just I'm dying laughing. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Crash champion. Funny anyways. Yeah, I, I love the Dynasty segments. They're great. So Crash Champion Ray Oros uh, is in a match against National Champion Hammerstone in a match. It goes to DQ, because of course it does. It was champion versus champion. Uh, what did you think of this match? That was the uh, Highlander? Excuse me? Wait, Hammerstone. Yeah? Against... Ray Horas? Horus? Close enough. Horus? Horus. <laughs> there was no competition, I thought. 
Hammerstone was totally in control of that. The official that gets knocked out was pretty funny. And mm-hmm. and he's like, well, <laughs> he drags him over. Dude, I'm going to tap him out. <laughs> and, he, and then uh, Oris uh, gets out of that one. But um, I knew that Hammerstone was going to still win. He is but he pro- didn't win. Oh, that's right. It was um, by um, he got disqualified. Yeah, because the these dynasty were, buddies the, came but out. But none of the these were actually sanctioned fights either. Yeah, they were. Mm, you sure they were. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I know what I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, I was thinking of something uh, else. I yeah, I thought that was kind of yeah because uh, MJ and the other numbnut, um, <laughs> his his buddy, <laughs> I can't think of his name. Um, what's his buddy's name? What's MJ's? Holiday. Holiday. I don't know why I couldn't think of it. They they pulled them. Call him numbnut. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, they both are numbnuts. Um, Especially MJ. Oh my God, he's just ridiculous. Maxwell Jacob Friedman. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I could have better initials for that, but I shall not say. <laughs> ah. But anyway, um, yeah, was there, I think Hammerstone, <laughs> Hammerstone would have won had he had he not been disqualified because of the numbnuts coming in. Well, I mean, he was on his way to losing if it wasn't for the interference. Uh, uh well, hmm. maybe. Maybe. Anyways, maybe. I didn't think the match was too good. It was. It seemed like they were off timing a lot of the times. They were yeah. cla- they were clashing their styles. Anyways, uh, after this match, we get we go backstage and we have Joseph Samael and Zelina De La Renta facing right. off in a battle of words. Hyping up the big title match at Super Fight of Fatu versus LA Park, both of whom are undefeated in MLW, so it's a big, big money match. They're promoting it. Uh, Samael offers Zelina an ultimatum either Hail Contra or violence. <laughs> he's got a big cigar, he's got his big sunglasses on. Right. Zelina being, being all cocky that she is, she's like, I choose violence. Right. <laughs> And then who comes along? Jimmy Havoc. Yeah. He's like, oh, I, the blood I, I see man. violence. I show up. The blood drinker. Yes. <laughs> you could you could put he's it that per- way. Yeah, he's perfect for Halloween right now. Mm-hmm. Did you well, did did you happen to watch the unsanctioned um, slaughterhouse? I haven't watched that yet. I know it aired yesterday. Oh my god! I started to watch it. I can't wait to finish it because <laughs> it's just so disgusting. But um, <laughs> apparently, after the match um, with L.A. Park and and Dynasty, mm-hmm. when they did their match, um, the uh, um. What's the guy with the big cigar? Samuel. Samuel uh, found uh, L.A. Park in the in the back alley and started pounding ass on him. 
and and then uh, the Rosa Contra comes out and they're attacking him. So. Uh, that might be uh, Jimmy Havoc's uh, farewell as he goes to AEW full time now. Oh, we'll to find uh, out later. okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, that's where I left it. Get uh, L.A. Park getting beat up, <laughs> beat up in the um, alley, and Selena's just freaking out and making a phone call. I want them all dead. Uh, well, after, that's a teaser for ne- for uh, for two weeks from now. Yeah, recording again for MLW. Yeah. So um, just right fast, the the dynasty defeated Los Parks in the main event. Another that instance pretty, of Clash of Styles. Pretty, that was a weak win, weak show. I I thought so as well. It was lame, very lame. wasn't impressed. A lot of slap. How can you slap someone with a mask on anyway and do any harm? I just don't get that. <laughs> it's just so stupid. <laughs> I mean, I could put a mask on you and slap you and see see how much it it uh, affects <laughs> affects you. But I wouldn't hit my mother. I wouldn't mean? do I such a I wear a mask thing. all the time. I get hit around and it doesn't bother me. Okay. <laughs> Next time you get in a fight at work, you just give it. Hold on, I got to put my mask on. Exactly. No effect. <laughs> all right. So, who's your favorite wrestler in MLW the past two weeks now? Hmm. I'm going to go with Dynasty. Not they're all such of them? A, yeah, they're such assholes. <laughs> I like it. Because they're, they're assholes. Why can't, why can't you not like an asshole once in a while, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about Dominic Garini. Um... No, I've seen I've he's, seen him wrestle quite a few times. He's very new. He's like this big judo guy. I think he's an Olympic judo medalist, uh, and he's transitioning into wrestling. He's just very awkward. Yeah, he's a nerd in wrestling. Uh, I have a friend who's texting me right now. What do you think of Jimmy Havoc? I. Told you what I thought of Jimmy Havoc. Well, he's the blood he's drinker. He's the blood drinker. Yeah. He's he's gross. <laughs> he's like disgusting. I I, I just you... I, I after after he did what he did with that barbed wire to that wrestler, it just uh-huh. it turned my stomach. It was just like that's not even wrestling. That's just. That's just crude and disgusting, and <laughs> he's just, he's he's um he belongs in MMA. Oh, in the I don't gu- think they'd allow barbed no, wire in, in but MMA, but in the gutter part of MMA, where you know they're not known for anything. what the illegal underground. Yeah, he, <laughs> that's where exactly he belongs in the illegal underground of wrestling is where he belongs. <laughs> Do you think it's plausible for a promotion to build solely around him? <sighs> I guess if it was the illegal underground. <laughs> right. <laughs> um you know, I, he's a he's a, a different kind of duck. <laughs> a different kind of duck. I'll quote you on that one. All right, let's get into AEW as I play this drop 
Here we go. Do do do. Playing the music. Here we go. The one winged angel screams. It fuels my hopes and dreams. The best Yes, that was Kenny Omega's music. Now it's time for AEW, the October 9th, 2019 show, and the October 16th. I had the pleasure of going to AEW's second ever TV show, and I gotta say, Mom... That's pretty cool. It's really cool. I'm, it's, I'm uh, jelly. <laughs> you're jelly? <laughs> I'm jelly. <That's> it's, <laughs> it's high production value. Um, the fan... They're not a lot of old people, n- barely any kids uh so it's everyone's like you know in between the 18 to, to you know 35 40 range uh-huh. of age so uh-huh. young young crowd everyone's really into it um my one complaint has nothing to do with AEW. it has to do with the douchebags in the front row that were standing the whole time uh-huh you know you're in the front row you sit down let the people behind you see kind of deal because i had floor seats uh, but I was right there at the action. It was pretty. F- it was just awesome. Well, that There's, goes for uh, anything, you know. Even if you're in a concert, all the assholes are standing in the front, and then everyone in the back has to stand up because the assholes won't sit down and the, that have right. the perfect seat, you know. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed when comparing to other events like this, uh, the the best comparisons, obviously WWE. Last time I was at a WWE show. Mm-hmm. When 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 it's TV, you know when they go to commercial, right? Yeah. Because the match will seem to just stop, right? Yeah. They just they just get on the mat and they just hold each other. You know, it's like oh, let's just chill out here for a little while, and then you can tell the ref like taps them and they go, okay, we're back, and then they start uh-huh, moving again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and if there's not a match going on, it's just constant propaganda in your face. You know, subscribe to this, buy this, don't forget to go here, do this. Uh Hey, have you seen our new TV show? Have you seen that? Hey, remember, (laughs) Raw's on every Monday. You know, just constantly in your face. It's just so aggravating. Uh, At AEW, it's just constant fan interaction. They're putting on a show. Uh, You never felt bored. I never felt, I, I, I never felt compelled to, like, Pick some at some point where, all right, if I want another beer, I got to go during this time, you know, or, uh-huh. you know, ah, this match doesn't matter. I'm going to leave. I never felt that. Well, and how long was the match? I mean, how long was the the event? Uh, it was a total of three hours. Three hours. So, that's so when you put good. the, t- that's a lot of yeah. time for wrestling. Well, it was, it was good. So they, um, they said right away, Hey, we're going to have a dark match, uh, right now before, you know, to get you amped up before we go to TV. Uh-huh. And then they and then they go and for AEW Dark after the show stick around cuz we have these two matches we're going to show you with the main event being Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela. So they they really sh- uh for the live crowd, they gave the live crowd specifically a main event, which is very interesting. It's yes. a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Instead of having all your dark matches in front of, you know, when everybody's getting there, they saved it for the live crowd as the as as a bonus. Yeah, nice. And then uh, AEW Dark goes up on YouTube a week later, so it's even even cooler. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I I I like dark. I liked watching the the dark matches. Why do you like those? 
I just enjoyed being able to just watch them and not mm-hmm. um, uh, worry about watching the main what the main event was all about. I like to see what goes on behind the scenes when you know what we see live and then what they they show that um, you know like you said, ramping up the audience and stuff. It's kind of cool to be able to see that too. So how did you discover AEW Dark? Because I didn't even tell you about it. Well, you discovered it on your be- own. Because I was looking for, um, to watch uh-huh. the event, and I go, oh, what's the dark? Because they were saying why, what it was. Um, cause I watched the first one. I can't re- I didn't write anything down about who, what, who it was. And so, um, I ended up wa- watching all s- several of the matches to wow. see what it was about, you know? And I go, Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I really, I really like it. It's a, it's a, it's a good idea. The win, the wins and losses still matter for AEW dark as well. Cause you can see uh, those anytime. And on TNT uh, Wrestling, you can watch any of those ML, uh, MLW. You can watch any of the AEW uh, Wrestling Dark at any time on TNT Wrestling. On YouTube? No. Yeah. 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 That's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we uh, on to the matches. Private Party defeats the Young Bucks in the Which opening I was totally tag shocked. team tournament match. Oh, my God. Totally like, shocked. All of us in the crowd were just kind of hoping for a good match. All <laughs> of us thought the Young Bucks were surely going to win. Yeah. Did you think the same way? Absolutely. Because they were... Huge upset. Yeah, that's a huge upset. I was I was stunned. Mm-hmm. Just stunned. Do you think this was the... In terms of... of um, storytelling because the young bucks are part of the group that founded AEW. So, and they're arguably the stars of AEW. Do you think this was the right decision to have private party win over the young bucks? You know, it just gives them a reason to get it back. Hmm. Play the long game. Yeah. yeah. That's your take. Okay. Yeah. Uh, don't don't put the big stars over first. Make them work for it. Yeah, you know, be and and I think that's why we're shocked because you know um, there's no way the young bucks are gonna let that happen, you know, or let them have it for long. They're gonna get it back, but they're gonna build up to it. Yeah, there's okay. there's something there's something in the future for that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, Darby Allen defeats Jimmy Havoc in a number one contendership match. Well, that was okay. That was stupid. Jimmy oh. biting the fingers and stuff. That was <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I'm like, what? what is that? What are we... Uh, <laughs> I've never seen that in wrestling. I thought, what the hell is biting the fingers? What is that? And then biting his foot through the shoe. What? What are you, a freaking dog? Are you not a Jimmy Havoc fan? Is that what we're discovering? (laughs) (laughs) He's drinking blood on one show. He's biting toes on another. Well, it was so stupid. I mean, how are you going to, how is a human being going to bite through uh, freaking wrestling shoes? Really? Maybe they're not as thick as you think. 
Or maybe uh, his jaws are like an alligator where they snap down harder I'm, I'm than they looking, open. I'm looking at his teeth. He's got nice teeth, and yeah, he ain't got no fangs or anything. What did you think of Darby Allen? You've seen him before at uh, the Evolve show that you and I went to. He's the guy that was half-painted. He had the half-face paint going on. The guy yeah, yeah, with skateboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like Darby Allen, and he actually didn't they? He actually won. He won this match, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, did Jimmy have it come from MMA? No, he did not. I can assure you. Oh, okay. Well, he belongs in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> he belongs in the dark. Belongs in the dark <laughs> bowels of the earth. <laughs> Okay, Britt Baker and Riho team to defeat B. Priestley and Emmy Sakura. So I don't see. Well, hang on a second about this Darby Allen beating Jimmy (laughs) Havoc. Okay. Okay. So he's actually supposed to go against Chris Jericho. Yes. In the coffin. Uh, Yeah. His finishing moves, the coffin drop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see. Um, I don't see Darby Allen winning that one. Well, I mean, we've already seen that show, but we'll get there. Oh, we did. Did you not? Did you not watch episode three? Episode three. Yeah. Yeah. Where Chris Jericho faced Darby Allen. Did you forget already? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> When Chris, okay. Yeah, right. Well, let's well let's uh let's let's just pound pound through these next ones and just right. get a quick comment from you because we're <laughs> r- r- running short on your time. Thank you. Uh, Britt Baker and Riho team they defeat B Priestley and Emi Sakura. I thought the match was okay, but the crowd was pretty quiet for it. Who your was thoughts? this? This was the women's match. <laughs> no comment. Hmm. Yes, no. I don't think so. Okay. Oh, John Moxley oh, defeats... Oh, with yeah, the, oh, the oh. women and the... I had to yes. find it. Sorry. It was a tag team women thing. Yes. Yeah, with correct. Rio and Britt Baker being yeah. being on that. Yeah, and they're the winners. Yeah, duh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. John Moxley defeats Sean Spears. Fine. Move on. Uh, and then we had Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, the guy from Katy, Texas. Uh-huh. Uh, defeats Adam Page and Dustin Rhodes. Do you question? Do you remember Gold Dust in the WWF? Like the homosexual guy that was dressed all in gold, the bodysuit. Does this ring a bell at all? Probably. Maybe? Yeah, I I can picture him. Okay. Uh huh. Why? Yeah. Is this someone's son again? <laughs> no, th- this is him, just without that what? character. Yeah. Dustin Rhodes is Gold Dust. In case you were. Uh, He's also Dusty Rhodes' other son. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the Inner Circle win. Jake Hager interferes. Cool stuff. 
And then we had the dark match, which is what I really wanted to talk about. Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela. 26 minutes, 40 seconds. A hardcore fest of awesome, as I say. Ending with Kenny Omega's one-winged angel finisher onto a chair, killing Joey Janela. Did I miss something? That was the AEW Dark Big Match. Oh, uh, the, the one thing. that I didn't watch. <laughs> you did watch it. But I, know I did, did watch it. Yeah. yeah. Cool match? It was a cool match. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. What do you think of... Because you've seen Joey Janela. You, mm-hmm. You've you worn his t-shirt mm-hmm. and support, supported him live. That's right. You're we the t- one who took a picture. about that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Kenny Omega, though? What do you mean, what do I think of him? What do you think of Kenny Omega, the cleaner? Did he win? Yeah, he's the guy who won, Mom. That's my point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Episode 3, October 16th, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Am I fun or what? (laughs) SCU taking on the best friends in which the Lucha Brothers take out Christopher Daniels before the match. Scorpio Sky has to step in. He's the black guy, in case you forget, Mom. He's the one who wrestled without shoes because he had to step in for his buddy. Yeah, no, he, he did wrestle. He had one shoe off and one shoe on. Okay, and then he threw the and second threw shoe into the, the crowd. And threw the second shoe into the crowd, they were, and they threw it back. <laughs> <laughs> Only one shoe back. <laughs> I thought this was a lot of fun. And he wanted to throw it back again, and they took it away before he got to it. <laughs> cool way to start the show, if you ask me. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised. I figured that... Um, they're just going to let that match, you know, go. Because there was no what? not going to be like anybody. Like throw it out? Yeah, because there wasn't going to be anybody to wrestle. Well, I mean, Scorpio Sky is part of SoCal Uncensored. That's the name of the team. So he stepped in for his fallen comrade. And he stepped up in a big way. He did. Yeah. I quite liked Scorpio but then, Sky. And uh, then uh, Daniel's... Gets a pile driven on the ramp and gets taken away on a board stretcher. Yeah. That had to hurt. Oh. Oh, yeah. I I imagine it did. Yeah. But they ended up winning the match and move on in the tournament. And they move up. Yep. Uh, Just a quick squash match of Ortiz and Santana, part of Jericho's inner circle. That was a real quick match. Yeah, uh... Fun fact, Alex Reynolds and John Silver are frequenters of Beyond Wrestling. They are the regulars. I spoke about the meat man snubbing uh, the guy that beat him, the handshake dude, earlier. Mm-hmm. Same guy. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Riho defeats Britt Baker in a women's title match. Tell me, mother. It was a better Tell match. me about what you think. It was a better match. Was le- at least it was uh, weight fair oh wise um and you could actually see rio do her skinny moves she's just too her skinny moves you say (laughs) she's she has no muscle at all if if there was a bad wind she'd probably fall over Oh, okay, you got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
but you know i mean she did a good job on baker she did some foot stomping and you know roll out moves and double knee strikes and all that and but ugh, she's just not what i picture as a woman wrestler what do you picture as a woman wrestler then china well i mean you're going back on that one i know talking, yeah <laughs> but the, you know, I well, mean, doesn't Nyla Rose fit that mold then for you? Right. So that's who you want to be champion. You're still, you're, you, you still seem upset about that. I'm gonna be. Oh. I don't think, I don't think anyone else deserves it. <laughs> oh. So you're not on hashtag Team Riho. Oh like no! Good God! Whoever is is that stupid. So Wait, what me a stupid? waste! What a waste of hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, the match ends with Britt Baker going. (laughs) Yeah, Britt Baker loses after Riho counters Britt Baker's submission finisher, the Lockjaw, because she's a dentist. Get it? Yes. Well, commentary then says Riho's experience as the main factor why Britt Baker did not win. She's not experienced enough, and Riho got the best of her. Yeah. I was a big fan of the finish, Uh and the crowd liked it too. So hashtag Team Riho. I will not waste it. <laughs> All right, this is what I'm very curious about. So we got the Lucha Brothers versus Jurassic Express. So before the match, uh, the big dinosaur guy, the six foot seven Luchasaurus, was injured. So little tiny Marco Stunt had to take his place to team with Jungle Boy to take take on the Mexican Luchador team. The yeah, Lucha what Brothers. a goofy team. Which one? Jungle Boy and Jack Perry, or Jack, well, J- Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and was he Marco, Marco Stunt? Correct. Runt. Runt. Marco Runt, you say? Yes. <laughs> okay, so fun story is, uh, this is, this is about the time when I got AEW on the TV at the Bowling Alley. Okay. No, I had it, uh, I had it, no, I turned it on early. Uh, it was right at the end of the opening match. So kind of watched uh, all of it while bowling, but of course it's like in and out. Well, when Marco Stunt comes on the screen, everybody started watching. Because they're like, what is that little child doing in the ring? Exactly, Marco And he's flying around, getting thrown around everywhere. (laughs) Everyone was into him. I'm telling (laughs) you. Because they couldn't believe it. This little dude being being annihilated. He was being thrown around like a rag doll. Uh, <laughs> well, did you have fun watching it? It was irritating. Why was it irritating? Because it was a mismatch. I hate mismatches. So you're not, oh, you're not a fan of the mismatches, I'm are not you? a fan of the mismatches because it just... Well, I mean, um, he died in the end. He got well. Of he got course, he did. I mean, it was just no surprise. The Lucha Brothers were the winners. No surprise there. La, la, well, then la, there's la. no problem, is there? But it's the point of I have to watch mm. it, mm. and you already know the outcome. Whereas oh, when you have you? fit, when you Riho, have fair you weight s- matches, hey, Riho, Riho beat Nyla Rose. You didn't know that outcome, did you? Yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep going back to that. (laughs) 
Oh, I already knew the result. Well, you didn't tell you didn't with Riho. She proved you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Adam Page and Kenny Omega defeat John Moxley and Pack. That was the next match. A uh, Pack is Pack? Pack and Jimmy Havoc should be teams. They should be You think so? Tag. Well, they're both British. They should be tag teams. Cause Why? Because they're both mean looking? Yeah, they're both icky. Icky? <laughs> you and your words today. <laughs> but Pac is slimy. And, and, and Jimmy Havoc is nasty. So you get nasty slime and you got a great team. <laughs> is that what you're calling them? <laughs> nasty the slime. Team, nasty slime? <laughs> Reference to the Nasty Boys of yes. years past. Wow. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but I like Hangman. Well, the match. I like Hangman. You like Hangman Page? Yeah. You like Hangman Page? Yeah, I do. Why do you like him? Uh, I just I just like um, I like him as a, a wrestler. I like how he wrestles. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he was your he was your guy in this match then. He was he was all over Pack and Mosley. Mosley. Moxley. Moxley. Oh yeah, I couldn't read my writing. Moxley. <laughs> I've been at the computer all day. Ah, uh, I would say me too, but that's not the case. I'm I'm around chemicals. Well, that'll drain your brain. Uh, it'll do something. <laughs> so the the match ends with Moxley DDT and Pack, his partner, his own tag team partner, after Pack ruins the square off of Mox and Omega with their barbed wire weapons. Right. So Pack's like, I don't want to get DQ'd, you crazy man. Right. Moxley ain't having it because he don't give a shit. Right. And he DDTs him, leaves the ring, leaves him dead and alone for Paige and Omega to beat their beat his ass right. and win the match. Yep. So they announce uh, right after that that Pack and Moxley are going to have a match on Wednesday this coming week. Ooh. I'm excited for that one. Be you excited? Fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. Mr. Slimy against Mr. Hardcore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say this about Hangman Adam Page. Go ahead. I want to say this. So, I'm a fan of him, but I want to see them do something with him. Uh-huh. He he needs to like get on the mic, say like a couple words or phrases. You know, we know nothing about him, uh-huh. right? Yeah. I want to know more about the Hangman Page. Yeah. Because if you like him, that's a good sign for yeah. new. I, I think a new audience. You seem he sticks out to you yeah. out of these four, which is quite quite crazy that he stuck out to you the most. Yeah. Uh, I I think if they're gonna bring in a new audience to get behind Adam Page, they need to do more with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Quite important. They seem to be doing everything around him, but not directly with him. Right. And, yeah. you know, and, and the thing is, is he was all over Pack and Moxley. Yeah, you they know? were trying to get him to be the highlight of the match. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then we had our main event. The AEW world title Philadelphia street fight. Chris Jericho taking on Darby Allen. Match goes 15 minutes and 40 seconds. What did you think of your boy, Darby Allen, against Chris Jericho? Well, there was some bleeding going on in that one. Bleeding there and, was some blood, ble- yes. Bleeding and bruising in this fight. <laughs> and uh, 
seeing Chris Jericho with some blood. I liked seeing blood on Chris Jericho. He's an asshole. <laughs> I'm not liking him. He he just thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Well, I mean, he had the little promo after the the squash match. He's like, ah, my boys, Ortiz and or or Santana. I knew you guys could do it. How about this at full gear? You against the Young Bucks. So I think now we know why the Young Bucks mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. It's because they had this coming. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes sense, you know, with the mm-hmm. little inner circle against uh, against them. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so so you like Chris Jericho with a little bit of blood? I do. Darby, Darby came out fighting. Uh, he was out for blood. <laughs> he was. He was. Did you notice his, uh, his um, half his body had the words, I think it was uh, champ. Yes. Written all over his yes. body. I quite like that. Good yeah. little little tidbit there. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. It was down his arm and everything, I think, right? Yeah, even on uh, the under part of his skateboard it said it had a uh, AEW champ under there. So he, uh-huh. he came to play. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and even though Darby came out fighting for blood, Jer- Jericho took over to uh treat Darby like a rag doll for a while. You know, and he did. Yeah, chair under. So let me ask you back. this: What? So you got a real problem with mismatches? Did you feel the big mismatch here? Not as much because I think Darby has a lot uh, of he has moves. Some of okay. them, you know, some of your mismatches they they lack the moves because they can't do them. You know, like. Just seeing Hammerstone picking mm-hmm. up that guy and, you know, just lifting him up, even though you could tell that guy was, he was pretty heavy, you know, he wasn't anything that, to, that you know, that was a mismatch of a ragdoll weight as far as weight. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel that um, Darby Allen was a Mitch, as much of a mismatch though the weight was missing i think he made up for in his moves against jericho very interesting Mm -hmm. because there there's a lot of uh talk online about the mismatches as well but um since you share that same darby had some crazy moves you know covering and flipping off the ropes and stuff and um I I I just I like Darby Allen. I I think he um he'll do well. So Darby Allen ends up getting He's his different. hands like tied yeah, behind his right? back. Yeah, right. Taped taped behind his back. That's what I'm talking about. Who can, who can do that? That's just crazy ass shit he was doing. He's got some it, talent. Oh, it's absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I he's mean, got we, some talent. And AEW sees the talent, and they they want to they see something in him. Yeah, no, he's, and that's why they're putting him in these positions yeah. early. It's it's great. Yeah. Uh, so the story was, at least from my perspective, that Jericho wanted to make him submit, right? Because he attacked him last week. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to just beat his ass. He wants to make him give up. Right. But Darby, Darby Allen kept getting gonna, the ropes. He's not going to do it. Well, he kept getting the ropes and mm-hmm. forcing the rope break. Because mm-hmm. even though it's a street street fight, mm-hmm. uh, the rope break rule was still in effect. Mm-hmm. That, that's what uh, commentary told us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the rules are a little little bit strange, 
with AEW. Like they can't like the tag match, they're tagging all over the place, you know, inside the ring, outside the ring, other corners, not the corner. <laughs> I'm not sure what the rules are going. I, I watch another promotion called Dragon Gate mm-hmm. and uh, another Japanese promotion called New Japan. And they're pretty like lackadaisical and weird on the rules over there. And a lot of these guys trained in Japan. So I'm wondering if they're, I'm really wondering if they're kind of like trying to condition fans like you and me in the West to look at this wrestling uh, from a different perspective, you know, decondition the whole WWE thing that's been going on. True that, you know, because, uh, well, I am uh, conditioned in that and probably why I hadn't watched it in a long time. So this is back to being new to me. And not watching. You're more open to watching this new right. thing, right? Yeah, because there's a lot more than what was back in the '80s, '90s. Oh God, yeah, yeah. You know? They're they're moving a lot I mean, faster. Totally, Guys are all. It's a totally different style than than what I what I used to see. Not totally, a... but there's a lot of different styles now. Do you think this new style is just it, it's it's evolved into this and? I think some. I think some of it's kind of over the top. Um, like what? Well, I'm not a big. <laughs> I'm not into the blood going on because you didn't. Well, I mean, that blood. Blood back in the day was even worse. To be honest, I don't remember it being oh, like yeah. this. Come on, Ric Flair would bu- get busted open like every match, and his blonde hair would bleach <laughs> into the red color. Come on. <laughs> Well, maybe I left those memories out. Oh, okay, I think you did. Yeah. <laughs> Bret Hart stone cold Steve Austin. Bret Hart's got him in the sharpshooter. He's got a crimson mask on him. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, there was crazy blood back in the back in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I I think I chose to forget those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well. In the end, Chris Jericho, uh, well, Darby Allen's like gonna hit his coffin drop with his hands tied behind him ba- behind his back. But Jake Hagar, big dude, comes around, clocks him in the head. Jericho gets him in the walls of Jericho, and because his hands are tied behind his back, right. he can't reach the ropes this time. And he and the ref calls for the bell. He wins. He retains the AEW title. And his, all his buddies in the inner circle all come down to the ring to celebrate with a little bit of the bubbly. Right. All the champagne. They're popping <laughs> champagne like it's the biggest victory ever. <laughs> right. And Jericho. Because he's a dick. Out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jericho puts it in his mouth and spits it out. I'm glad I wasn't <laughs> in the front row. <laughs> That's when you got to be glad you're not in the front row. <laughs> So did you like AEW the past two weeks, or did it, you know what? I'm gonna start doing this. Did you like AEW more or MLW more the past two weeks? Yeah, <clears throat> I I I'm not gonna make a choice because they're they're each individual styles. No 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 no. You have to make a choice. I'm gonna keep a tally now. Well, um. Now that Jimmy Havoc won't be on MLW, <laughs> darn it! Because then, then, um, then, then, what's Pat gonna do? 
Christmas pack on. Oh, packs AEW. Yeah, so they're both so, going to be in AEW. So yeah, you get slime and blood and slime. They might make a good team. <laughs> so I don't know. I, uh, um. Uh, if I do, I have to choose. Yes. I'm gonna go with MLW right now. Ooh, so one for MLW. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to retroactively, uh, did you like AEW's first episode more, or still MLW from? Um, our previous cast. If you uh, can remember uh, that far back. <laughs> um, I liked AEW. No, I liked MLW. Then I like. I'm still gonna stick with MLW right now. Okay, so two two nothing I for like, MLW. But this last match for AEW mm-hmm. for the October 16th one, I like that one. So is that your favorite match you've seen? For what's which match? For for anything. Is that is that your favorite match you've seen this year? Um, 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 um or do you have the something mo- like that? No, more? that that most entertaining, yes, for for me that that episode was entertaining. Okay. Yeah. And who's your favorite wrestler? Is it still Chris Jericho? Or have you chosen a new one? Is it Jimmy Havoc? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd like to see more Hangman, actually. I'm liking Hangman this week. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Hangman Page, number one from Mama. Yeah, I'd like to to see more of him. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you're already a head start on me with the next MLW episode. We got another AEW episode taking place in Pittsburgh. Right. That's uh, that's this coming Wednesday. That'll be exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Mom? Yeah. Thanks for joining. Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> See you until, next time. Until next time. Yes, Minami Toyota getting us into another episode of All Japan Women's Classics can be found over at Peroso Dream and Samurai TV. There you go. This is episode five on our journey, watching all of the All Japan Women Classics episodes. Uh, this date takes place in the midst of the Fuji Cup. A lot of we got three league, league matches here. The venue is at uh, Aichi or Aichi. Uh, 1985 is when this took place uh, in April. So we got April 2nd, April 26th, and April 6th uh, is the order that they showed us uh, what was happening. Our first match is Jumbo Hori versus Yukari Omori. So we got the Dynamite Girls against each other. And uh, that's what this Fuji Cup was about, was the tag partners going against each other 1v1, and then they move move up the ladder from there. Uh, if you told me during this show, this entire show, that they weren't tag partners to begin with and wanted to kill each other, I would have believed you. 
And in this match of the Dynamite Girls against each other, if you told me at least Jumbo had something against Yukari, my god. I've wanted to see a Jumbo Hori uh, singles match, um, not for a while. I think the first couple times, I, it took a couple times to see her, and I go, I want to see more of this Jumbo Hori in, in singles action. Well, we got it, and boy, she works stiff. She blocks a flying crossbody with a stiff, straight shoulder block. It really, like, twists uh, Omori around. She backdrops at, a, at a, uh, like a quick overhead. Or just falls real hard on that stiff mat. There's a reverse tombstone that drops Yukari straight on her neck. And a backdrop, uh, a, Saito, a Saito backdrop of sorts that she lands right on her head. And the, <laughs> Not even the shoulders are down, just on her head. Um, my god, Jumbo Hori is just a destroyer. Uh, she wins in messy fashion. And Yukari isn't all that impressive here. She's always out of position. She works real slow. Just real heavy on the mat, I could put it that way, uh, so, Jumbo Hori, uh, this is, this is the, her last year before she retires, or at least for the first time, Omori is a few years behind her, and supposedly this was kind of the, the moment where it's to put Yukari slowly over and take off, because the Dynamite Girls are, are coming to an end by year's end, uh, so yeah, there's that. The second match of the Fuji Cup on this day. Uh, this venue was at Kashima. It's Dump Matsumoto versus Crane U. So we got the Gokakuin. Gokak- ah, forget it. <laughs> Gokokin. Uh, stable against each other here. This is how I can put the murder of Crane. Oh my god. Like, they wasted all of seven seconds being friends before Dump Matsumoto got, like, a butter knife and started stabbing Crane in the face. Crane's just bleeding all over the place, and just just when you think, like, the bleeding has stopped, Dump Matsumoto just stabs her some more in the face, really creates half a crimson mask, Two-Face style. Uh, Dump Matsumoto has Bull Nakano... Uh, the young 17-year-old on the rise, maybe 18 at this point, Bull Nakano just, just stepping in and beating the shit out of Crane U on her behalf. Uh, Crane is trying to fight back. She's becoming a big baby face. The crowd's like, fucking fight back, girl. Hell yeah, get behind her. Uh, Bull, I mean, they brawl out on the outside. Crane spits in Bull Nakano's face, hits her with a chair. Bull Nakano's not taking any shit, and this was also the showcase of the match, was any, it was to highlight Bull Nakano, and because Crane U is on her way out of retirement, uh, this is Bull Nakano taking over her spot, and Dump Matsumoto fully taking over the group, right? Not that she needed kind of a highlight of, to do so, she's Dump Matsumoto, she's a killer, uh, once the butter knife is taken over, Crane gets a chain and brings that into the ring, gets all of one move on Dump, uh, of choking her and then throwing her outside, uh, gets to the outside, brawls with Bolsamore, but now you see Dump has the chain wrapped around her hand, just waiting, picking her spot, and then of course just punches the daylights out of Crane U, and just makes her bleed profusely like a faucet. Uh, eventually... Uh, so this is not for the faint of heart. This is this is a killing. This is a murder, right? This is attempted murder. Uh, eventually, the ref just has enough. 
And whether it's a double down, double count out or a DQ on Dump Matsumoto, I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea where the Fuji Cup League match even goes from here. I couldn't really get a confirmation on what happened. Uh, but holy crap. Bulnakano definitely sticks out. So the highlight, uh, that job was, was done. Dump, de- I mean, if there was any denying who was in charge of of the of the of the stable dump matsumoto is definitely in charge now so crane you leaves getting helped out just a bloody mess this was definitely my favorite match on the show and the main event of this classic episode even though it took place like two weeks prior was the crush gals uh going one-on-one against each other uh at corican hall lioness asuka versus chigusa nagayo just crowds going nuts for him. A full 20-plus minute chain wrestling match that there just wasn't really nothing of note that happens, and it leads to a draw. They definitely sweat constantly during the showcase. The crowd was going nuts for the two. They're just super over. There's no denied that these were the two most over people in All Japan women's wrestling at this point in life. They could do no wrong. Um, The two big spots was definitely Chigusa Nagayo doing a huge top rope backdrop on Asuka, and then Linus Asuka performing the, the huge-ass speed swing on Nagayo. But yeah, they they, they they chain wrestle the whole time. It's it's like if it's like a Tim Thatcher match without the knee strikes kind of situation. Not very exciting to watch, but the crowd loved it, so who am I to judge? Uh, the, the, the dump match was definitely... Um, what I preferred to watch because it was just fascinating of, of the, the beating, the murder. I can't believe Crane would bring a, a chain into a match. That, doesn't she know that's just a, more arsenal for Dump Matsumoto to use against her? Well, she didn't know. But yeah, Shigusa Nagayo and Linus Asuka embrace after their draw. Crowd is like, yay! There you go. I shall move on from All Japan Women. I'm really enjoying this All Japan Women. Uh... Recap, week in and week out. Play that next drop. Yes, indeed. Beyond Wrestling. This will be a nice quick one today. Next couple segments are going to be nice and quick. Uh, Beyond Wrestling had Sodom and Gomorrah at the House of Independence in New Jersey, October 12, 2019. Over on IWTV. Uh, the show was your typical Beyond Wrestling show. Not a lot of build to every, anything and everything. A lot of filler. Not playing, not totally playing off of the Uncharted Territory stories. Uh, well, I take that back. The cl- There was club cam going on and, and whatnot. But it was really not necessary to watch. Uh, the two matches I recommend you do watch. John Silver had a good match. You can... If you, if you just want a wrestling match, the John Silver one was probably the best one on the show. But the standouts to me was Matthew Justice taking on Chris Statlander, in which, uh, so intergender-wise, Chris Statlander is definitely the intergender queen of 2019. These two kill each other until Kimberly costs Chris Stat another match. Now, correct me if I'm wrong... And I was there live at American Rana. Wasn't this over after that cage match with Statlander winning? What? 
Matthew Justice seems to seems to give her a, a, th- a thumbs up of Chris Stat at the end. He, he's not really totally sure what happened with Kimberly. Uh, hell, I'm not even sure what happened with Kimberly. I could have sworn this feud was over, but Chris Stott, uh loses to Matthew Justice in a in a hard hitting affair. The big match, the big draw, was the independent wrestling title match. Warhorse, formerly known as Jake Parnell Warhorse, defeats Orange, freshly squeezed Cassidy. Did this match rule ass? It sure did. Ah, oh, it was metal as fuck. It was freshly squeezed as fuck. It's, it is a hard-hitting warhorse match mixed in with the kookiness of Orange Cassidy, and I don't think I've seen a match where Orange Cassidy went all out in this way in a long time. Probably since he faced off against David Starr, I think it was Halloween last year, where he took the coveted ace title away from David Starr, and that that kick-started him into going for the IWTV title. So yeah, uh, I recommend, if you're into the independent wrestling scene, uh, the North American one at the very least, this is a match worth checking out. It is a title match. It was hyped up to a good extent where Cassidy called him out, and there you go. Warhorse retains. Not much to say there. Nice quick Beyond Wrestling segment, if I do say so myself. I shall move on. The Uncharted Territory was for the weekly wrestling stuff. So this was the kind of the only place I wanted to put the Sodom and Gomorrah show. But yeah, next segment. R. E. T. Yes. Dragon Gate. Now, I was not able to watch before the podcast recording the Gate of Victory shows or show. I know on day five, on October 8th, there was the big Ben K. Mochizuki title match that was that was building. Uh, I heard about the Yoshino Shun Skywalker match, which was supposedly a uh, high speed fest. But um, for this particular one, I watched uh, the cu- the two secret gate shows. The afternoon and evening uh, took place on September 29th, 2019. Yes, a little, little while away. But nonetheless, uh, really only two matches to talk about on those two shows. There was the KZ versus Masaki Mochizuki match, which ended in a double pin at 13 minutes, 16 seconds. Ah, very interesting. KZ worked the... Uh, left knee of Mochizuki the entire match and hitting him with his speed and uppercuts while Mochizuki, the the super veteran, especially between the two, and getting ready for his title match later, uh, really had a lot to prove here. He wanted to get that momentum, uh, wanted to beat one of the top guys in Dragon Gate, especially young guys, and one of the most over guys. Well... Because KZ worked the knee, that when Mochizuki went for his went for his big suplex, he couldn't keep the bridge at all. So his shoulders fell to the mat, and KZ had his arm over uh, the other arm, so it went to a double pin. Holy crap! Uh, I like the booking; it makes it interesting going forward. It 
positions KZ arguably as a number one contender of sorts, which I'd be totally down uh, for KZ going after another title shot. It has been a long time, but I definitely want to see Yoshino probably get to that spot first. Uh, but yeah, there was the big uh, main event, which was my favorite match of the two shows easily. That is R.E.D., Big Arshimizu, and Eita, the tag, the Twin Gate champions, taking on Maximum. That's Jason Lee and Kaito Ishida. Uh, this went 17 and a half minutes. Uh, I'm not sure at all what Jason Lee and Kaito Ishida did to earn this tag title shot. I don't know whether it was Maximum themselves in uh, some group, some some faction matches. Uh, I know Maximum won matches against R.E.D., but I don't remember Jason Lee and Ishida themselves winning anything going into this. This to me, this came across as simply they need to defend the tag titles. And they need to beat somebody. Well, they're going to beat these tiny young guys <laughs> in maximum. And beat them, they did. Now, Jason Lee and Kaito, they they hit a lot of their speed moves. They did their high-flying Dragon Gate stuff. You know, uh, I think Jason Lee is probably the better guy out of the group. He's got his cool uh, martial arts to his, to his persona and his, uh, his movement. But, good God. Shimizu and Eita are just dicks, and they're great. They're so good. I hate them, and I love them simultaneously. Uh, I remember when I posted on Twitter when Shimizu and Ben K were a tag team, and Shimizu would do his crazy launch maneuver, and then it led into Ben K's spear. It just looks awesome. Well, uh, this is at least the first time I've seen this combo win help win a tag title match. Well, it's that launch angle, and it ends into Ata's beautiful super kick. Fully, ex- because he's a little shorter than a lot of the guys, he fully extends his leg at that 45-plus degree angle just up under the chin, and it looks awesome. Ugh. There was a lot of Shimizu using his power, getting real cocky with the with the with the much smaller opponents. Uh, this was a great R.E.D. showcase tag title match. Uh, it doesn't end off that super kick. I was kind of disappointed in that. It ends off of uh, Ata super kicking because they reversed Shimizu's um, shot put choke slam uh, two or three times in the match. Memory serves. And finally, Eita gets his big super kick in as Shimizu's pumping up for the shot put. And then he hits the shot put for the pin. And Eita keeps, uh, I think it was Kaito, out of the ring uh, from breaking up the pin. So they looked really strong. They talked a bunch of shit in Japanese after the match, saying no one can touch them because the Twin Gate titles are one of the most prestigious tag titles in the world right now. Oh, so good. This was... This was great to work out to. It got me, got, it gets me jacked just talking about it. So if you if you get your hands on the Secret Gate Evening Show show from September 29th, watch the Twin Gate title match. It is uh, it is a good example of Red just being powerhouse dicks. And there wasn't a lot of interference either, which was nice to see. They usually do. So I'll get to the Gate of Victory shows uh, in time, hopefully. I do want to see the Ben K title defense. I want to see all the Ben K title defenses. And shit, I want to see who's going to 
who's going to rise up and take on uh, the Twin Gate champions of R.E.D.? Let's get on to some stardom now, shall we? I think we shall. What am I going to play here? Oh, of course. Why wouldn't I play anything other than this? Here we go. <laughs> Yes, Shining Star. Got two stardom shows to talk about here. Uh, but really, I'll just run through the Nagoya show right fast. Nagoya, September 29, 2019, had two title defenses. It is the high-speed title match Riho. Yes, double champ, AEW champion Riho, taking on Death Yamasan. Death, death, high-speed death. Uh, they went, of course, it's a high-speed match, so it's under 10 minutes. Well, they went under 5 minutes, 423 uh, this is probably Riho's best she's looked in stardom to date. And going going up against the veteran, uh, Death Yama. Uh, looks good. I have really no complaints about it. Riho, uh, gets her flash pin win. Two thumbs up. Not much else to say there. Now, the main event of Nagoya was Arisa defending the... White Belt, the Wonder title, against Avery, the unorthodox, unorthodox-looked uh, Avery. Uh, so, this is a good example of a strong enhancement title defense. You know, it's not big drawn. You don't think Aris is going to lose the title at all. Uh, so, how can, how can Avery come into this match, make her look like a million dollars, and make Arisa look strong going into a bigger title defense match. And that's what we got here. We got Arisa, you know, kind of check-kicking Avery, testing out the length of her kicks. She's, you know, w- walking and strutting in the ring. Extremely different. Lots of testing maneuvers. Uh, and it, it just leads into fantastic little sequences of... Get out of here, Spotify. I don't need you to play anything right now. <clears throat> Fantastic little sequence. Uh, the the ending sequence was uh, pump kick, fake kick, two dodges, and then freaking nails it. And the follow through on the Brazilian kick was mwah, beautiful. So yeah, this this accomplished everything it needed to be. Uh, it didn't need to go over the, the whole 10, 12, 15 minute mark just because it went seven and a half minutes. No complaints. It was beautiful. On to the October 14th Corican Hall show. The big moment match. Champion Wars, it's called. As I take a sip of my drink here. Mm. Champion Wars. The show starts off with Tom Nakano defeating the up-and-coming Saya Kamatani. Uh, they went 921 of Tom Nakano kicking the shit out of her. Uh, they had a little nice little story of of uh, Saya is kind of under Tom Nakano's wing, uh, kind of the mentor thing, and the mentor is here to beat the pupil up and show her what's what, and that's what we got. Uh, Hazuki wins the gauntlet tag match totally by herself with the help of no one. She is, after all, a singular entry in tag league. I think she has a manager, uh, a short little Torah manager. 
that accompanies her. Sometimes she gets in the ring, but nonetheless, Hazuki wins the gauntlet match. Not much else to say there. Uh, and Tag League gets started. So we got the Blue Goddess Block match. We have Oedo Tai, the, uh, the, the, what do they call, what do they call themselves? Uh, the, it's Martina and Natsu, and they're like the the drunk Oedo Tai. I forget what they're calling themselves. It's really funny. But they defeat the Tokyo Cyber Squad team of Bobby Tyler and Zoe Lucas to not really anyone's surprise. Zoe Lucas doesn't... She still isn't moving in the ring very well at all. Bobby Tyler, she's coming back off a long excursion away. <laughs> and she's got, she's got a get back into the groove of things. Martina does win off of the Jaeger Bomb, the Sukadora. so I'm wondering what the hell was in that Sapporo. I am officially, unofficially, informally uh, starting an investigation into Sapporo beer and what it's capable of, because there's no way Martina can pull off a move like that. I don't believe it. But the tandem is very entertaining. Uh, Stars defeat Queen's Quest, it is Mayu and Saki now trading attires. So Mayu is in the horrid black attire. Doesn't look good on her at all. She's coming across as too Yankee to me. And the Queen's Quest duo of Azumi and Momo do lose. Uh, Momo goes for the similar move set that she beat Mayu in the five star. But this time with a tag partner to break that up, it didn't work out. That was kind of the, the story taken away from this. So, Star's looking good going forward, taking taking over Queen's Quest. Momo on that losing end still. When is the build coming? I'm just waiting. The two big matches to talk about here. Arisa taking on Kagetsu in the Wonder of Title match. Uh, a simple story of Arisa's admiration for Kagetsu, right? She's been she's been very clear that she's excited to see Kagetsu, excited to go up against her, wanted to do this match. Avery stepped in and kind of pushed it to Cork and Hall situation. It makes you know it makes sense. But they go 18 minutes 42 seconds, and it wasn't the typical Kagetsu match. It was Kagetsu trying to go for the title. How hard can we kick each other in the head situation? Uh, just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, the head kicks. Uh, the the last sequence, I, I, I can't describe it in justice. It would be an injustice to describe move for move what happens. But it it like took an element from the Avery match transferred it over into the finish of this one, in which then Kagetsu countered a couple times, but Arisa just kept it going. Uh, kind of like an Osprey style, where it misses the front kick, goes for the back kick, hits it, Kagetsu spins, hits a move of her own, and it's rever- and Hoshiki reverses it into a, uh, a blackout knee, and Kagetsu, still, still going to the well too many times, gets the better of her. How about that? Arisa wins. It is not the best. It wasn't the most fierce of her title defenses. But when you have... When I can come come away from a title defense like this against another super veteran, 
right? And go, God, I love that match. And then I look at the others. Fuck, is that really the fourth best match Arisa's had? That's that you start getting a best bout machine talk at this point. That's that's this is kind of the run that Okada goes on. This is these are the runs that Omega went on of just match, match, match. They're all just so good. They they look a little different. Uh and then Arisa post match wants to shake her hand, says like admiration words and Kagetsu. She's Arisa's like sticking out her hand, wanting to shake Kagetsu and goes like I, she she cuts a promo while the hand's just being stuck in front of her. Kagetsu has a big smile on her face. She's like, I'm not gonna shake her hand, just leaves her hanging. And Arisa's like, oh, 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 just huge dork moment. Um She cuts an awkward promo as she does. And call, basically calls out Jamie Hayter because Jamie Hayter beat her in the five-star and that just not very good match. Hayter comes out and says a couple words in Japanese, really, you know, get some heat. And Arisa wants to shake her hand <laughs> for for a good luck. And of course, Jamie Hayter's not going to shake her. It just slaps it away, walks out of the ring, left hanging for a second time in as many minutes. <laughs> Arisa's just left... Looking like a big dork. Uh, I mean, we could go into how Tam, Tam Nakano, uh, I believe, came out. And, um, my God, was this really the same show? No. Tam was was in, I think, the after the Avery match. Where Tam's like, hey, I don't like you. But I, you know, I want to team with you for Tag League. And Arisa wants to shake her hand be like, yeah. And then Tom refuses. So I guess the whole joke in Stardom is to not shake Arisa's hand because she's just a dork. Her dork will, her dorkness will infect everybody. I mean, Arisa even chases Tom awkwardly around the ring, and Tom has Peach on with her, the, her little pan, stuffed panda, and she just runs away. <laughs> uh, whatever show that took place on, it's just it's all running together. But man, it's it's the most hilarious thing in wrestling going on right now is how big a dork. Arisa is, and yet she's putting on the best bouts in wrestling right now, week in and week out. It's crazy. But now I must talk about my favorite. So technically, I will say this: technically, Arisa versus Kagetsu was a better wrestling match. However, my favorite match, and what I think was the better match, when it's put together with character work, wrestling, and the big match feel. The World of Stardom title match of Top Gaijin B. Priestley, the champion, taking on five-star winner and business ticket mover Hana Kimura. This went, this hit that 20-minute sweet spot, right? It went 21-47. And I, I will keep reiterating this. When a match hits that 20 minutes, usually it's 15 minutes with women's matches. But when a match hits 20 minutes and you still are just... When 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 the level gets pushed up a bunch, it reaches that next level. It reaches that four and a half, five-star territory, right? B. Priestley, Hanakamura kind of feel each other out for a little while. Starts a little slow. They do some character work to really build it up. Hanakamura goes to... She wants... She, Onigashimasu, shake the hand of B. Priestley. B. Priestley gives her the finger... Hanakamura does does the shocked face. Then she looks at the she looks around at the crowd. 
going, eh. And then she then she overemphasized the face going, eh, what? Don't do that. Shake my hand. We're in a world title match. B. Priestley goes to shake it. And then that's when Hanakamura pulls it away. She's not going to be insulted like that. She's, she's part of Tokyo Cyber Squad, after all. She's part of the rebel group, right? Sort of. Kind of. Gives her the middle finger, says, fuck you, bitch, in English. <laughs> and then that's when the match just takes off. They start doing intensity-type moves. Something I see in the All Japan women, where everything feels intense. Feels a little bit more stiff than usual. They work a stronger style. B. Priestley's not holding back. Every move seems to matter. is working the shoulders and the neck uh, throughout with the big boots... B. Priestley's taunting her, doing her charge-up, uh, charge-up, uh, run into the ropes, and then hitting, hitting the boot into the ropes, Hanakamura fires it right back, they're, they're, they're really heading the character work home hard, right? They are part of their respective stables, they're part, they want the title, they want, they want the psychology to play in. It's something I didn't get with the Arisa Kagetsu match, right? You know, sometimes the simple things are the mo- the things that'll get a match over, and that was perfect for that match. For the world title match, which has, has from the match perspective, has taken a second fiddle to the white belt uh, since Arisa's taken over. You can probably, you can arguably say, well, during the Momo run, the world title was still second fiddle. This is the first time I've felt in a long time that this world title felt bigger. And as the match goes on, and the moves get a little bit more desperate, right? Where it's Hanukimura's hitting hitting uh, Fisherman Saido's. B. Priestley's hitting Fisherman Saido's. Uh, B. Priestley did this fucking nuts draping double stomp from the outside, from the from the top rope to the outside on Hanukimura's back. That led to Hanukimura ripping off the. Um, the green, the green uh, Shin Gogo uh, uh, leg warmers. She just rips them off. Now she and her shoelaces are untied. She didn't fix them. She just kept them untied, doing her thing. Uh, B. Priestley's sweating. Her gear's all good, but the fact that over the match, Honey Kimura's gear and her and her uh, they they just they just started like coming apart on her. Like, B. Priestley's getting the better of her. I don't know. It's just, like, things like this. These, these, these matter. You know, I could, I could point to B, uh, the black eye that Britt Baker had, where the, it was still on her during the match with Riho. You know, things like that. So, eventually, uh, with, with, uh, with the stiffness of moves, and, how the shoelaces were untied and all these all these gear things. It, it felt like I was watching an Ishii versus Ibushi match with how the dynamic was playing off. Hanakamura didn't didn't sell a move at one point, uh, but then B. Priestley just knew it was coming and countered right away, and that knocked her down. Uh, B. Priestley hitting the bit. She, B. Priestley even hit a freaking Kamigoye in this match for Christ's sake. So. They had to have watched an Ibushi, <laughs> Ibushi Ishii match at some point. That's what it looked like to me. This was nuts. Uh, B. Priestley does retain after hitting the Queen's Landing, finally, and Hanakamura's taken out. 
uh, with T- TCS in tow. B Priestley even cut a promo. It's like, you can bring all your TCS squad members out. I'm bringing no, no one from Queen's Quest out. And that, that fits into the stables perfectly. Hanakamura's with all of her friends. They're all ringside. She even, even her, in her entrance, all her friends came out. The big Tokyo Cyber Squad music, not Hanakamura's music, the Tokyo Cyber Squad music. Uh, B Priestley comes out alone because that's what Queen's Quest is. They are just badasses that want competition. B. Priestley post-match cuts a promo saying she's top gaijin, Ichiban gaijin, world of stardom champion. She lists off all the people she's beaten. Who's next? Who comes out? Mayu Iwatani. They shake hands. They're looking for her. Mayu's all excited that she's finally been waiting for a while. She gets her chance, which is interesting because one would argue Momo would be over her. However, B's already beaten her. So she's not next. It's Mayu. Very much looking forward to that match. Now, going back to my bet with JPQ, Hanakimura did in fact not win the title in this instance. So there's a part of me that's happy for it. I'm actually glad Hanakimura did not win the title. Even from a fan perspective. I don't think she's ready at that level yet to carry the title. I think winning the white belt would suit her better. Um... So, does Mayu beat B Priestley going forward? Oh, that's that's going to be tough to say. I want to see where B Priestley lies in the pecking order of AEW currently. And I want to see the build for B Priestley Mayu. So, I will be paying attention closely to Tag League in this instance. So, knocking it out of the park. The B Priestley Hanukkah match hit me on all cylinders as a fan. It's, uh, in my opinion, a top 10 women's match of 2019. There you go. That's stardom. I look forward to Tag League. Moving on, ladies and gentlemen, to WXW. Guns, Bobby Guns. Now, don't have my notes for this one. Because it was three days of nonstop WXW. So, I'm just going to run down the card, and it, when something happens, I'll, I'll, I'll pull a thought on it. My prediction going forward was I thought Purge Club, the newly formed Purge Club, uh, the reinvention of Pete Bouncer and Ivan Kiev, Rise is Dead, uh, were the favorites going in. And the opening match featured... On day one, Pretty Bastards defeating JAA. And that is Jay Skillet and Absolute Andy. Now, before this weekend took place, WXW was hit with multiple cancellations of talents not being able to be there. Uh, people got injured. Uh, people were pulled from the event altogether. Uh, I believe uh, Walter and Dragonoff. Uh, Walter wasn't pulled, but he was so overworked. Uh, working WWE that he just couldn't do it. So instead, WXW um, had to basically rewrite the whole weekend of what they wanted to do. And did they get do a good job? I think they knocked it out of the park with what they were able to tell in what they were able to pull off. So the pretty bad. So Caspin's um, injured, and Absolute Andy apparently worked the entire weekend 
barely being able to walk. He was hurting, apparently. So, Pretty Bastards and JAA, uh, they work a tag match, and Pretty Bastards get a, what you would might call a fluke victory, an upset, if you will. This was followed by the Purge Club defeating Schadenfreude in the first round. So, yes, this is not a round-robin tournament. This is a knockout tournament this year. So, interesting. The Purge Club cheat, defeat Schadenfreude. Lucky Kid and Fletcher are devastated because Lucky Kid is uh, had to step in for Mark Davis, who, whom I believe tore his ACL of sorts. But nonetheless, uh, Purge Club moves on. Uh, and then we had the story of Gresham and Flamita going forward. And this was kind of their story. Gresham de- uh, defeats Flamita in probably the match of the night, in my opinion. And so that moved Gresham as the out talent going up. And Flamita, you know, being put back down has to go forward. Workhorsemen defeat Anti-Fun Police. Nothing to say there. David Starr. Uh, had to replace Eddie Kingston and his partner, so he picked Norman Harris, who stood out in the Inner Circle shows. The uh, the up-and-coming talent shows. Uh, that's what the Inner Circle is in WXW. Not to be confused with the AEW awesome stable. Uh, <clears throat> so, David Starr and Norman Harris defeat the crown via Alexander James eating the pin. And Jordan Simmons looked like a crazy destroyer, right? Well... There's a camera shot at the end of the match where Yern Simmons is in the corner just staring daggers through James. Commentary is telling us, well, Yern Simmons has turned on every single tag partner he's ever had. Clearly, he's going to beat the shit out of Alexander James. Well, he instead, he fools us all, embraces James, and as they're walking out of the ring, James turns on Simmons, gives him uh, the crown curb stomp or whatever, puts him down. So Alexander James has turned heel. On Yern Simmons. Whether the crowd accepts Yern Simmons as a face remains to be seen. Uh, mixed tag, not much else happened there. Arrows of Hungary goes over the team of violence is forever. That's the uh, Greeny Kevin Koo match. Not much to say there. And then there was the hard hitting final match of the night. Uh, Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan, team 1 2, defeat uh, the makeshift ring comp team of Thatcher and Fight Muller. And unfortunately, Mueller not only got injured in this match, he apparently has to tend to his child in the hospital, so he's going to be gone a little while. So that kind of ruined a tandem for the weekend there. So, man, bad stuff continuing. So the WWE team of Team 1-2 comes in and wins in the main event. On to Night 2, which I think was way better than Night 1. This was Jonathan Gresham defeats Lucky Kid, so he moves up further up the card, right? That is a good match. Jonathan Gresham had a very good singles match showing at uh, at Tag League, even though he wasn't in any of the tag matches, right? Avalanche defeats the cocky Alexander Dean. Uh, that story going into that match was Dean was coming into WXW talking a bunch of shit and being cocky. Avalanche wasn't happy about it, so they had a match. Avalanche Vader bombs and wins. Pretty Bastards gets another shocking upset win, defeating Starr and Harris. Uh, Noting David Starr ate the pin in this match. So, the confusion will be answered later. Arrows of Hungary defeat the Purge Club. 
shockingly. So another, and I, I really, I, I do, mm, I mean, Purge Club got screwed. You know, you could see it coming a mile away. Lucky Kid cost him the match. Uh, but I do like the idea of the story of the Purge Club and Lucky Kid and Schadenfreude continuing on their separate way. They don't need a title belt. This puts the Arrows of Hungary over, because I, I quite like them. I think they're a very good tag team uh, for Europe purposes. Um, and it puts, so we got the Pretty Bastards and Arrow, Arrows of Hungary. The problem with the Pretty Bastards going over is they've been a joke in WXW for as long as I can remember. So them getting these wins and kicking out of all these moves, like, I get it. You got to build some guys up. I, I spoke about it at length with Jay from the Smack It Down podcast that they're going to have to put these young guys over with all the older talent leaving and not being able to access them anymore. The WWE talent. But moving on. Danny Burch, Team 1-2, beat the War Horsemen. Uh, I don't recommend the match, even though it was very hard-hitting. It's, it's, it's an Evolve match. It didn't feel like a WXW match. There was a Shotgun number 1 contendership match four-way. Flamita defeats Fletcher, Taylor, and the returning from injury rotation, who's really over. So Flamita, even though he loses to Gresham, he moves up to uh, the, the mid-card title. So he's one-on-one of the night with a big four-way victory. Makes sense to me. In a comedy match of the year candidate, JAA taking on the anti-fun police. Oh my god, this match. Now, Jay from the Smack It Down podcast was dying to hear my thoughts over this. So. In context, Andy cannot walk. It's very tough for him. Well. Jay Skillet. So the joke is, Absolute Andy comes out with a squirt gun, and on night one, during his entrance, he squirts a fan in the crowd with his squirt gun, gets her wet. On this one, now she's wearing a raincoat. Jay Skillet and Absolute Andy aren't going to have this. They must make this girl soaked. They have to squirt her. Well... Jay Skillet pulls a bucket of water and just pours the whole thing over her. She gives the middle finger huge smile on her face, so she's totally part of this part of this act. But it's a good, it's a good recurring sequence on the show. Uh, well, they uh, so during that during this entrance on this one, Absolute Andy squirts referee Taslo Jung. Their long history of Andy messing with Jung, whether it's you know uh, pulling weapons behind his back super kicking him, whatever. Uh, Tommy Neeson announces that uh, for shenanigans, Absolute Andy has been uh, fined, I think it was like 10, 10, uh, yeah, 10 euros. And he's like, ah, whatever, 10 euros, no big deal. Well, for squirting the referee, (laughs) he's been fined 100 euros. Ah, shit, that's a lot more money. Well, someone, a fan, gives Andy, like, 50 cents, a 50-cent coin, and he gives and he gives it to Eason, and Eason goes, 50 cents has been uh, put into the bank to pay his fine. So that's really, that really sets the tone for the match. They have some back and forth, Federales, Santos Jr., uh, 
pulls out his finger guns, and he's like, hey, man, don't mess around with it. You know, ah, it's fake. He doesn't believe it. He pulls his squirt gun. They have a face off. And then Federalis points his finger guns to the sky, and then and then a uh, a, sound, a bang sound effect goes off, and he's like, "What? Well, that shit's real!" <laughs> so much joking, joking stuff happens. Skillet comes in with a butcher's knife out of nowhere, and everyone freaks out. Andy, the anti-fun police, they're all. I think the refs even in the corner. Uh, they're just like, "Dude, you brought a knife in the ring!" Like really putting the knife over. Skillet gets a cutting board and a cucumber out. I think it was a cucumber. No, it was a zucchini. Zucchini out. He puts it down. He starts cutting the zucchini. And he goes, wait. Zucchinis have to be cooked to eat. Get the get the guy, get the chef from catering out there. There's a whole picture-in-picture picture instance of the chef grabbing the zucchini and starting to cook it. He cuts the rest of the zucchini, puts it in the, um, the oven, and then the match goes on without the picture-in-picture picture from then on. And... Uh, they have, more or less, a wrestling match. Some comedy elements mixed in. And then we get the finish of Andy stealing the finger guns from Federales Santos Jr. No. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Federales shoots Andy in the head with the finger guns. Andy goes down. Then it's getting the heat on Jay Skillet. Jay Skillet can't, can't do anything on 2v1. Andy's not moving from the corner of the ring where, where ever since he got shot. Just immobile. So, uh, Skillet has no one to tag in. He starts calling for the zucchini, right? What's not coming? He gets the Fanta orange juice that Andy has been bringing with him to the ring. He uncaps it, puts the Fanta over Andy's Knows it works as like smelling salt. He rises from the dead, if you will. Andy Taker, the crowd chants. He drinks the orange juice. Oh, it's like Popeye's spinach. He runs wild on the anti-fun police. Then he gets not finger a finger gun. He gets an invisible machine gun. And he starts gunning everybody down. He guns down the anti-fun police. He guns down the referee. He guns down a second referee. He guns down Tommy Eason. Bodies are everywhere. Andy's a murderer. All oh, the devastation. The zucchini is finally brought out, right? As they get to the as they get to the end, uh, I don't even I don't even remember if Federalis was DQ'd or not, but nonetheless, it's uh, JAA wins the match via. And then they revive everybody with the zucchini and orange juice. For all intents and purposes, Andy is not injured. He's not on IR. He is suspended for attempted murder. <laughs> From WXW. Um, it's also to note that uh, Al-Ani has been suspended for... <coughs> uh, from WXW going forward. I wonder what that's about. I couldn't find any information. And then we get our main event, unified world title match. Uh, Shortcut to the top winner, winner Timothy Thatcher against super turned heel Bobby Guns. The crowd is no longer behind him. Tim Thatcher is way, way over. And I watched him in that match against Eddie Kingston perform the exact same way 
But Eddie Kingston can't move, as I said earlier. Bobby Guns can. And in Germany, they're used to this catch wrestling style. This is the German wrestling style. And this match was great. It was, I believe, 22 minutes. And Thatcher works the arm. Guns works the arm. Not so much heel tactics, but the guys are over nonetheless in their own special way. And Thatcher works that shoulder up. It is hard-hitting, lots of uppercuts, German suplexes, everything you can imagine from a German WXW catch wrestling match. It was really good. It was solid. On the fun factor, it is not the much match of the night. But on this night, Tim Thatcher is the world champion. It is a well-built, well-built story. He is now the final member of the original ring comp to win the WXW title. Great story. He's all happy. Fantastic. Where we go from here, I have no idea. But I'm, all, I'm in for the ride. What does happen, though, on night three is very important. So on night three... <clears throat> Scotty Davis wins a four-way. Killer Kelly defeats Layla Hirsch in a singles match. Schadenfreude defeats the Workhorseman in a regular tag match. Avalanche has a very good showing against Flamita. Tim Thatcher defeats Jonathan Gresham in a, another great catch wrestling match. So Gresham really uh, really hits home um, what he's good at, and the, the dynamic between these two worked extremely well, even better than the Bobby Guns. Uh, title match. Dragonoff defeats David Starr, to my further surprise. I don't know what's going on here. So Dragonoff was able to show up for night three. Amal retains uh, the title against Lufisto. The match was okay. Important to say that Lufisto did win uh, the Femme Fatales tournament, the Queen of the Ring, if you will. Uh, not a very good tournament this year uh, at all. Uh, Layla Hirsch got to the finals. She lost to Lufisto. I thought that was the wrong decision, uh, personally. I don't think they should have booked it that way at all. Uh, the way it went down was just us. Uh, Martina defeats Vesna. Hirsch defeats Sammy Jane. I didn't like that at all. Um, Lana Austin defeats Baby Alice Allison. Not a good match. Lufisto defe defeats Vivian. Uh, Layla Hirsch defeats Martina. Lufisto defe defeated Austin. Uh, Amal defended the title against Faye Jackson. That's where that led to. That wasn't a good match. So, uh, Lufisto was solid, and I would have ra much rather had seen Martina get to the finals or Sami Zayn to go against Lufisto. But it seems like WXW is really big on getting Layla Hirsch over. She's a very young talent. She's from Russia, if I'm not mistaken. Let me uh, confirm this. Uh, no, she's from New Jersey. Perhaps she has Rus a Russian background. Um, so if we see more Layla Hirsch going forward, I guess, but whatever. Uh, and then we get to the Tag Team Festival three-way no disqualification, uh, finals. So it's the Bastards, Arrows of Hungary, and, uh, Team 1-2. And it's, uh, it's, as I said, it's an elimination match. The Pretty Bastards first eliminate the Arrows of Hungary, which I 
sort of agreed with. I was kind of confused, but it led it led to a purpose. So Team 1-2 coming into this seemed like the slam dunk winners, right? W- of course the WWE team's going to win, right? Well, just as Team 1-2 is going to win, Bobby Guns hits the ring, costs them the match. Bobby Guns and the Pretty Bastards are a thing. They proceed to start beating the fuck out of Team 1-2. And then the rising star, Norman Harris, the guy who the Pretty Bastards beat in the semifinals with David Starr, comes down and he he looks like he's going to save him. It is actually another turn where he's now joined with Bobby Guns and the Pretty Bastards. What a way to put three young talents over and making the stable. I don't know what the stable is going to be called. Uh, so you got a tag team, you have your mid card, and you have your upper card guy. So the dynamic of, and I've been using that word a lot, dynamic. The, the, the dynamic of this group fits. It works. You have the young up-and-coming talent that can go for the mid card title. You have the winners of the tag festival gunning now for the tag titles. Right? And now you have Bobby Guns at the top of the card wanting his title back with a group. So you got Schadenfreude. You have uh, Purge Club. I expect they might get another member. And then you have this group. And you have Ringkampf. Now, how much of Ringkampf stays, or if they get more people, remains to be seen. But nonetheless, we have a lot of tag teams and groups in WXW. And this, uh, so this gives me more confidence in the Pretty Bastards going forward, because now they can be heels, as they kind of already were. Um, Norman Harris gets a real big place to shine, and this gets Bobby, now that Bobby Gunn's lost the title, this gets a big purpose behind him going forward. So what could have been a disaster weekend for WXW really turned into something awesome in the end. So before I officially go on to uh, New Japan show, one thing I have to praise WXW for is their seemingly organic face and heel turns uh, over the last couple years. They they seem the 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 swerves aren't for the sake of fooling the audience. Um, the turn of Absolute Andy in 2018 on All Ani, leading to his amazing career reinvigoration uh, as the top heel in Europe, in my opinion. Uh, It was absolutely phenomenal, and all the way to him losing the title with the rise of Bobby Guns, uh, to this absolute dad gimmick that he's doing, the, the, just this natural thing he's totally embraced. This is why Absolute Andy seems to always be over with the crowd. If he's, if he needs to get heat, he knows how to get heat. And that, like, super kicking the ref of Tassilo Jung and the way WXW tells the story, uh, they, they they remember all the little things. Um, the And in retrospect, uh, yes, the Bobby Guns roll up and then giving Fight Muller the, the middle finger, uh, the quote-unquote shit finish. Even I was pretty sour about it, but it definitely made Bobby Guns hated. 
because he's been one of the top guy, top loved guys in the company. So much so that uh, when he faced Dragonoff, the crowd hijacked the show with love. Uh, as uh, th- that's how I put it. So he went quickly, bang, heel. W- WXW embraced it and immediately played that into the most over guy in the company being Tim Thatcher winning the title. It's It all rolls together so well. So definitely lots of kudos. The organic turns are, in my opinion, uh, some of the best in wrestling. It's Everything just comes together. Everything seems to always have a purpose. You start questioning things, like I did on night one and two. I'm like, why is this guy losing? What are they planning with him? What are they doing in the mid-card? And then night three happens, and everything's answered. Just complete that story. And so, yeah, bravo, WXW. This is why... Uh, it's one of my favorite promotions to watch. Uh, every month when they come out with a show, uh, bravo. Yes, New Japan Pro Wrestling, king of pro wrestling. This card, uh, had to be changed because of the typhoon. Uh, a couple things where uh, Moxley couldn't show up, and neither could Zack Sabre Jr. Well, uh, long story short, through a lot of these matches, uh, Shingo and Naito defeat Suzuki-Goon, uh, Taichi Doki by DQ in nine minutes, and then Taichi proceeds to beat up both Shingo and Naito, so the wrestling god Taichi gets the better of them. He looks at Naito and says, I'm going to do what you couldn't do. So there's another hat thrown into the hole. I'm going to be a double champion thing at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, Minoru Suzuki defeats Jushin Thunder Liger in a 17 and a half minute great storytelling match. Liger came out with his Battle Liger costume. with um, It's like his MMA type look. He's got no shirt on. He's in phenomenal shape. They have a trading of blows type match. Not really totally fighting outside the ring. Liger didn't channel Kishin Liger, so that that might come into play later. But nonetheless, it was the story of Liger giving everything he possibly could to Minoru Suzuki. You know, he wasn't going to lose in three minutes this time. He was going to get the best of him. It's a 14-year story, 14-plus year story in the making, something along those lines. Minoru Suzuki just wanting Liger to dish out his best. It just couldn't be done. And in the end, one gotch pile driver later, Liger is down. And then Suzuki gets a chair. He takes out all the staff around him. And just when it looks like Suzuki's going to put a dagger into the downed Liger, he throws the chair away and prostates in front of him. Uh, that's uh, gets on his... Knees and and bows for respect, and then quickly walks out of the ring. Uh, Liger says, thank you, Suzuki, for the match situation. So, this entire build of these two guys wanting to kill each other, that despite them, they respect each other nonetheless. And then my match of the night was Will Ospreay defending the junior heavyweight title against ELP El Fantasmo. This match goes almost 30 minutes. 27.58. They fight all over the place. Phantasmo uh, wants to, of course, 
not cheat, says he, sends Ishimori to the back, and then proceeds to cheat, right? Accidental eye poke of the eyes, then he immediately claws the eyes after that. They fight to the outside on a balcony, in which goes to a crazy spot where Osprey kind of hangs off it and falls, and then Phantasmo does a front crossbody uh, to land on him, and they just proceed to do move, 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 move. But they all had kind of that junior purpose to it all. Osprey getting the back and the head, the back and the head, you know, Spanish flies kicks, that kind of thing. While Phantasmo slowly slowly tried to cheat more and more and more. I think my favorite moment was definitely when Phantasmo gets on his knee and then does a straight punch jab to Osprey's nuts. Then Ishimori comes out, he, he interjects himself, that leads to Robbie Eagles coming out and taking out Ishimori to even the odds, and of course, after the odds have been evened, then that leads to the finish of Osprey, Stormbreaker, pins ELP, so ELP does not become uh, the junior heavyweight champion. Great match, I loved ELP's character work in this, uh, I think the character work is what made this match so good, as I pause this and come back to it in a second. Okay, and we're back. Uh, my mother called, and it was time for us to record our uh, weekly Wrestling With Mom segment, so the audio sounds a little bit different. That is why I am back again to continue, I guess, part two of King of Pro Wrestling. I uh, left off uh, being very impressed with the Will Ospreay-El Phantasmo match. Why do they have to be so good? Why does Will Ospreay have to be so good in 2019? Why can't he just take a break so my wrestler rankings can all catch up to him so I can have a good finish, like in the women's table. <laughs> Anyways, ELP was definitely my favorite in that match, though. Character work, man. It does make a difference. Uh, six-man tag team match, Chaos. That's Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi defeat the Bullet Club, Bullet Club team of White, Kenta, and uh, Yujiro. So, 12 minutes. Not much going on there, just emphasizing the Kenta, Ishii, and the Goto, White feuds, so it served a purpose. I just really question why it was here on the card. It just made me not care about it too much. But anyways, the one that was announced was Moxley, uh, due to the typhoon, could not make it, so they announced Lance Archer as his replacement for the vacant, now, uh, New Japan United States Heavyweight uh, Championship. It goes 14 minutes, 58 seconds, and if you remember, Lance Archer... During the G1, we all kind of questions, ah, why is he in it, you know, and Minoru Suzuki isn't kind of situation. And then he just continued to impress every match. He didn't. He did exactly what he needed to do to get over, uh, whether it was the heel aspects or just being a Mad Max badass, uh, saw him rise up the card. So I think this was a very suitable um, replacement for John Moxley in this match. So, if this was most companies, I think we can all agree that B plus player, Mr. Midcard Juice Robinson was probably going to go over in this. And hell, I was guilty of thinking the same way. I'm like, okay, well, easy booking, just keep it. Robinson was probably going to win anyways, and uh, Moxley was going to go back to AW full time or what have you. Well. That's not what happened at all. In fact, they had a very physical match. 
The Lance Archer chokeslam through table is something I will never get bored of seeing. And his, like, touched up his tattoos, his new haircut. He is a new guy. He has totally re- It's not a total reinvention, but I'm going to put it that way anyways. Because now we care about this guy, and he is no young dude. At the tw- in the in the arguably twilight of his career, I, I, you know he's he's got many years left it seems with especially with his style as long as you know barring injury of course. But hot damn, Lance Archer hits <laughs> the black the black hole no blackout slam black holes abyss uh, hits that blackout slam juice and I saw this a lot on the show was the kicking out at one wasn't a fan. I don't know why, especially when B-plus player Juice is doing this. But anyways, uh, Archer does get him in the Iron Claw and pin his ass. He is the new U.S. champion, and he went straight back to America, embraced the title, and he's going around the indie scenes with it. So, cool stuff. That is... It's it's building... It's because it's not so much even a mid-card title. It's kind of the... It's not even a Gaijin title. It's like the traveling title, right? And with New Japan announcing... Uh, New Japan USA. This is this could be the marquee title for that purpose, right? Uh, moving on, IWGP Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership at the Do- Tokyo Dome match. It is Kota Ibushi taking on Evil. It went 24 minutes, and I just couldn't get into this. There was something about Evil just kind of going through the motions. No, don't get me wrong. This was the Ibushi selling showcase. He was trying to get the most out of Evil. But as I saw it, and as I was trying to be entertained, uh, Evil just didn't do anything for me in this match. It's just the same spots over and over again, seemingly in the same sequence. I can't prove that right now, but it feels like he does the, 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 the baseball chair swing. Then he'll do the ref hold hold the foot super kick spot. Then he'll go into Darkness Falls. Then he'll try everything is evil. Like it's it's the same sequence of his matches. I'm going to have to what what I what I think I might do is his next singles match that I see. I will write down his sequence of moves in order and see if he just replicates that because I'm very curious because that's what's coming across to me. But Ibushi wins, and as soon as Ibushi won, everybody knew that Okada was not losing the title. And so I got, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, and I don't blame them at all. Sonata is 1-7 against Okada. Ibushi has just won. In what mindset do you expect your fans to be when A... Wins and losses matter in your promotion, and you have that kind of record. And then B, you have the setup where you really can't suspend your disbelief enough. Now, I'm not saying a losing record can't work in a storyline. David Starr has played that all 2018-2019 against certain opponents. David's, um, Walter and uh, uh, Jordan Devlin in particular, where he just can't beat them. And then when he finally beats them, whether... It's tapping out Devlin getting ready for, I believe it's WrestleFest 3. Uh, that's the big match coming up this weekend. Um, you if you, you need to make the matches different from each other. 
And that's why I praise the Valter, David Starr, David Starr, Jordan Devlin feud so much, is every match feels different. And it all revolves around the loser trying to pick different ways to beat the guy he can't beat. So I went into this match with that mindset. I want to see Sonata either try to replicate what he did against Okada in the G1, his his finally getting his victory, going at him harder, and doing different things to catch him off guard. What we got was an extremely, extremely slow half. Like, really painfully slow. You know, they're feeling each other out. They're doing the grapples. They're doing the ground game. Sonata's constantly locking in the skull end. And I hate to say it, but it's really gotten to the point with me where I have to see Sonata start winning massive victories with this skull end. Where he locks it in just once and bang, it's over. Make this submission matter more. Because if you make that submission matter, then I could possibly suspend my disbelief enough for Okada. And then the other story was Okada couldn't hit the dropkick on Sonata. Sonata. Just couldn't get him. And seemingly at the halfway point, I guess, Okada hits the dropkick and then they go another 15-20 minutes. I was like, well, that was anticlimactic. So, a lot of a lot of things about this match just didn't work work for me. Uh it technically it was a good match, but the story being told just didn't live up to the uh to the par a lot of the other matches on the show did. So, it's almost like this once the uh, uh Minoru and Liger and then uh the junior heavyweight title match was over, uh it just went per- perpetually more downhill from there. The only saving grace was the United States title match. Uh, what I, you know, what I want to see for the rest of the year. I mean, we got the junior tag league. I'm not with Stardom's tag league. I just came off watching WXW just crush it in their tag league. We got the tag time tag title tournament going on in AEW. You know, there's a lot of tag team wrestling, and when New Japan has made it perf- like very clear that. The tag titles aren't their priority. It's just not what the promotion's built on. I'm just not excited for it. I'll definitely check out the finals. Like, no doubt. And if someone... If I if I hear anything, like, being raved about online... Yeah, I'll watch a match. I'll check it out. But I won't... I won't be... Seeking out the entire tournament. Not like Boss J or... Or uh, the G1 or such, so... Yeah, that was the New Japan King of Pro Wrestling show. Unfortunate, due to the unfortunate events, you know, certain things happen. I can I can deal with that. They they the crowd was very silent for a lot of it, more silent than usual. Excuse me as I drink some water. I think I'm getting sick here. This isn't good. Mm. Well, anyways. Let me play the drop and we can move on to our final segment. Excuse me as I shake the mic. (laughs) Alright, before I begin into WCW... Please head on over to iTunes or your favorite podcasting outlet 
Head on over to YouTube, subscribe to the Red Leaf Retrocast, but most of all, I would love for an iTunes review. I would love to read something on this podcast. You know, criticism, positive, negative, I don't care. I want to read it. I want to, I want feedback, good or bad. Here we go. WCW Nitro, August 17th, 1998. A knight, do I dare say, lives in infamy? This is from Hartford, Connecticut, of all places, and commentary really hitting home that they are the only live wrestling show on TV over and over again. It was pretty insufferable. You know, it's it's that Bischoff, mo- Bischoff moniker that he loved doing, which just irritates you as a fan. Of course, we get Hogan and Bischoff time to start off the night instead of, say, oh, I don't know, Kevin Nash, the guy who got speared and set up to end the show last week? Well, let's see where this goes anyways. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Just talking about WCW makes me sick sometimes. You know, I, I, I last week was a crazy awesome show. I love that Nitro. So in a vacuum, coming off that, I was extremely excited for this. So Hogan, it's on the mic. Says, no more games, brother. No more of the prelim punks in the back. He's calling Goldberg out, dude. Says the giant is going to do the dirty work tonight and give him his belt back. Alright, quick and simple, sets up the main event. Cool. Hogan did hilariously lose his voice mid-promo, which was very funny. (laughs) Now, I do question uh, the words... Not matching the actions. He's calling Goldberg out, but his, but the giant gets the title shot, and he's going to do the dirty work. I don't know, something just doesn't add up there. I will, however, forgive it for the time, and just think that he's going to get his title shot. Goldberg's unbeatable right now. He is unbeatable, as a fact, and the giant's a big dude, and he's going to rough him up. I think that was the point. Now, as Nitro, as the Nitro intro played, I got to thinking of all the guys I haven't seen on Nitro really at all lately. You know, no Vampiro since his debut, L.A. Park and many of the other luchadors, no prelim matches, none of that undercard awesomeness, still no Ric Flair despite the summer of teasing, no Chris Benoit, no Booker T., I know he's out with an injury. No DDP, which is really weird coming off of uh, the win at Road Wild. And Macho Man, just to name a few. These are just top-of-the-head guys that I'm saying here. You know, pretty big heavy hitters, if I do say so. Well, Mean Gene is out on the ramp with J.J. Dillon to hype up the War Games pay-per-view. So J.J. Dillon makes it clear that the War Games match will be three teams of three members each. Mr. Dillon announces the captains for the teams. So, of course, it's Hogan, NWO Hollywood, Kevin Nash, NWO Wolfpack, and representing WCW is good old people's champion, Diamond Dallas Page. And an interesting stipulation (coughs) is the winning captain will get a title shot at Halloween Havoc. So I like the stip. It all makes sense. Uh, It makes you really pay attention to who the members chosen are. Like, are they going to abide by the captain's rules kind of situation? 
you know, I, Hogan's definitely top dog in Hollywood, so he shouldn't shouldn't have any issue. Nash as the Wolf Pack. Why does Nash in particular get the shot and not say Stinger Luger? You know, that remains to be seen. I imagine they're going to be chosen for the match. I don't remember off the top of my head. But, of course, the mystery is, who is DDP going to choose for WCW? Because if it's not, say, guys like Rick Steiner, who's caught up with the brother feud, whom can DDP get that has enough star power to make up for Team WCW? Because I can't really think of anybody that's at a high enough level who nobody's been built up to be in that be in that spotlight with DDP. So that's where my question lied. Now, I do know who it's who one's going to be. I know that the October 17th show very well. <laughs> Regardless, that that that's what was going through my mind. Small video promo of Malenko from Saturday Night. Still trying to convince Arn Anderson to reform the Horsemen, so that continues there. Mongo McMichael to open up the first match of the night versus Sick Boy. And here I go. Oh, God, please be three minutes. Oh, please no more. I hate you, Mongo McMichael, so much. I don't like your wrestling. You're so boring. You have no personality. I don't even like the Chicago Bears. They suck. Commentary still hammering home the competitor's taped program and tell us their world title match is only 10 seconds. So kind of funny where here in 2019, WWE is still doing that same thing. They hype up a big match for the main event and it ends in seconds or DQ, right? They still do that to this day. I did look up that Raw episode just to, just to truly see if they were pulling my tail. And the main event was, you're not going to believe this, the main event wrestling match was in fact... Kayentai versus Val Venus in a four-on-one handicap match with an ending segment afterwards of the famous Undertaker driving off uh, in a casket and Kane is in cahoots with him. Needless to say, it was a bad episode of Raw. Like, bad. (laughs) Saturn challenged Raven on Saturday night uh, with the stip for Fall Brawl. If Saturn wins the match, the flock is free. And if Raven wins, Saturn must return to the flock. Interesting, I suppose. I guess it's led to that. I just don't understand, you know, I'm going to assume that Saturn cut some promos on Saturday Night or Thunder, kind of explaining the dissension in the flock. And and there has, you know. Uh, there, You know, Lodi's been being beaten up lately. Uh, there's some, been some corporal punishment by Raven, so... The only thing is, why does Saturn care? Is because he's friends with the guys in the flock? That's what I'm. That's what I'm missing here. But it's interesting, I suppose. It's it's moving on with this story. It's it's really turned it around for me, actually. It didn't make sense for a good, for the good middle part of this, but uh, everything's sort of making sense as we approach the ending of this. Well, luckily, Mongo McMichael just went under five minutes. Two minutes too long, if you ask me. It was harmless, I suppose. He does win. Mean Gene with DDP in the ring. So counter is at good old two for Mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, My fun little thing I like doing on this cast now. The Mean Gene counter. 
So DDP is doing his thing, hyping up the pay-per-view, having issues with Hollywood's Gom Hogan, referencing the beatdown in Utah where he lost the U.S. title to Bret Hart. Bret Hart immediately comes out because Bret Hart ain't taking no shit, right? He comes down, he's pissed off of DDP's, quote, excuses of slipping on a banana peel in the back. I hope my Bret Hart impression did anything for you guys. Important now to say on Thunder... Bret Hart won the U.S. title back from Lex Luger and brags about being a two-time champion. Really, really wish there was a video package of Bret Hart winning this thing. Because <laughs> when he came out with the U.S. title, I just went, blah, blah, blah. Excuse me? <laughs> you think that would be something they would talk about on commentary? You think they would show a, re- a replay of it, uh, the end of the match or something? But... You know, Bret Hart's champion again, I guess. I'd vastly prefer that over Lex Luger anyways, so no no skin off my back. I just had to do that massive double take. DDP gets super peeved and challenges Bret Hart for a shot at the U.S. title. And this is when Bret Hart runs down the list of people he's taken out. And are sitting at home because of him. Booker T at home because of him. Macho Man Randy Savage, at home, cause of him and his knee. Piper, home, Benoit, home, cause of me. Loved it. Oh, I am such a Bret Hart, Mark. (laughs) It all is perfect. So that answers a lot of the missing people part I had earlier, which was interesting. You know, I was just like, man, where are these guys? And Bret Hart comes out, lays them all down. Yeah, I took them all out. They're all sitting at home. God, I love Bret Hart. And then he accepts DDP's challenge because he's not afraid of a challenge. He just wants someone to, like, prove themselves kind of situation. So, I'm also not... I am also... I am a huge fan of not Bret Hart being in the NWO. That part's stupid. Like, he could be a heel or a badass. But what they're doing is coming across as he's distancing himself from the whole NWO group. Right? Just enough to give the illusion he's more of a solo act than part of him. So, I'm suspending my disbelief on the uh, the, the poor booking of Bret Hart. Uh, but, man, 1998 Bret Hart's really coming around on me. They're, they're, they're making him a big deal. With the U.S. title, but he's a big deal. Mean Gene out on the ramp to interview Raven now. Counter at three, if you're keeping track. Horace immediately comes out and issues Raven another challenge because he's fed up with the ungratefulness and the beatdowns. Makes sense to me. I don't want to. I wouldn't want to get beat up by my boss every day at work. That would suck. Raven accepts, but wants it to be a tag match where he picks the partners, and then he immediately chooses Horace and Canyon versus him and Saturn because come uh, the pay per view, Saturn better get used to being part of the flock. So. Immediately you go, that makes no fucking sense. Ah, but it, but they save it. Saturn comes out and says he's out of his goddamn mind. While Canyon just kind of shows up and he's, he's standing there not talking. He's being Canyon. There's a loose agreement. They just kind of go, okay. And Saturn's like, I'll knock you out if you even try to tag me in. J.J. Dillon just kind of pops in. And he confirms the match, but says if anyone costs their partner the match intentionally... They will be suspended from WCW for 90 days, and also the match must have a winner via submission or pinfall. So no DQs, none of that, so it's Raven rules. Hey, cool setup, 
They made the rules very clear. It got me very intrigued on how it's going to play out. We finally get a wrestling match now. Not a really wrestling-heavy show. It's High Voltage versus Disco and Alex Wright, the Dancing Fools. Commentary still telling us, no 10-second title matches here. False advertising for TV, which is rich. Coming from WCW, that would false advertise their house shows on a weekly basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, false advertising TV. WWE, man. Doing it back in the Attitude Era. Match goes like one minute until the monster Mang hits the ring. And I was like, oh. Mwah, 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 mwah. Oh, I love this. He tongue and death grips everyone in sight, including the referee, a member of WCW security, and even taking Mace from another security guard to the face, and it has no effect. Bobby Heenan says, as Mang's taking the Mace and he's no-selling it, he's like, he uses Mace for deodorant, that's not gonna work! <laughs> Mang leaves, counting seven bodies victim to the tongue and death grip in the ring as the crowd explodes for this dude. Mang is awesome. <coughs> so if DD, you know, I wouldn't want to choose him for the War Games match. That's a huge risk. But if I was DDP, I would try to get Mang because he is he is a big deal right now. They're pushing the shit out of him two weeks in a row. I love it. This is how you get this monster over. So this next segment was very bizarre, and I totally, I I loosely remember this happened. But I didn't understand it 20 years ago. Shocker. Eddie Guerrero, with a plastic cup of Coke or something in his hand, walks to the ring in his street clothes and his suitcase along with his crazy flowing long mullet. Hope I've set the scene for you guys. He proceeds to cut the most strange fourth wall promo with no context. I have no idea what he's talking about. I looked up. Anything that happened on Thunder, main event, came up with Zilch. Eddie cuts a promo about he's sick of Bischoff treating him and the other guys in the back like trash, giving them no respect, and Eddie doesn't care about one thing or another. He just babbles on. The crowd is baffled through all this. Then, as Eddie continues to dribble on, the crowd only does what they know, and that's boo the heel... And say Eddie sucks. Like they don't know it. This is is this supposed to be a babyface promo? Are we supposed to know why or what this Bischoff Eddie Guerrero thing even is? Then Eddie throws the coffee on himself. He so it was coffee. He says so, not Coke. Tells Eric he can shove the job up his ass with no reaction out of the crowd. I am left baffled. No unearthly idea what happened. Well, as it turns out, apparently, like, in the back, I don't know how long ago, but Eric Bischoff was, like, mad backstage, and he threw a cup of coffee a bat, uh, across the room, and it hit the wall, and some got on Eddie Guerrero. So we're supposed to know this at home, I guess. That makes no sense. Canyon and Horace versus Saturn and Raven. I'm not sure why they just didn't do this match right after the whole... Ramp segment, but anyways. Uh, funny enough, I love the dynamic and flow of this match. There's my word of the podcast, the dynamic. Uh, and the intrigue, but the crowd, nah, they they didn't uh, cra- they didn't care. Until Horace double splashes Raven uh, and Saturn in the corner halfway through. Saturn headbutts Raven. Uh, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My notes were no no good on that. No bueno. Horus does the stinger splash in both Raven and Saturn in the corner. Raven falls to the mat, and then Saturn follows and headbutts Raven's nuts. So that got a... So once that happened, the crowd woke up and loved this match. Horus is a bumbling oof, an oaf if you will, and proved it yet again in this match. He misdirected his stop sign shot yet again. Saturn wins via the DVD on Horus. Hey, great. Post-match, the flock hit the ring and beat the shit out of uh, Saturn. Raven DDTs Saturn, goes for another. Kidman tries to step in, kind of making that further dissension within the flock. Raven DDTs him, because he ain't gonna fucking handle that shit. Don't step out of line, Kidman. Horace wants to handle it himself, you know, to try to, like, save face a little bit with Raven, because he he knows he fucked up, right? Uh, So he performs, I guess... I didn't write it down. Let's go with a spine buster. And uh, Raven then pushes, he kind of turns him around and DDT's Horus. He's like, fuck you, this is my show. So seeds being planted everywhere. I like this. Uh, yeah, Raven's not going to be upstaged by his group. Perfect. NW Wolfpack to the ring to party. Note that Luger doesn't have a care in the world. He lost the US title immediately after winning it. He's just all smiles. So fuck that guy. So they do their usual Wolfpack shtick, and are still super over, and that's all they do, and peace out. For life. <laughs> uh, Big Scott Norton with Vincent accompanying him, uh, versus Scott Putski, the guy dressed like a pirate, is back to die. Putski gets a few moves in, fighting for his life, I thought it came across very well. A small Vincent interference, I don't know what the purpose of that was, but then inevitably... Norton just kills him, Powerbomb wins it like he would at NWO Revenge on the Nintendo 64, just crushes this dude. Seeing more Norton killing dudes and racking up wins is awesome. I want him in the War Games match, or set up for a title match versus Goldberg. I think he's your best opponent right now. Uh, Continue clips from Saturday Night, ref, uh, the ref, reformation of the Horsemen. I'm almost positive Ric Flair comes back in August. Almost positive. It could be September. So, questioning this next one. Hogan and Bischoff out for a second run tonight. Why? Well, he starts on about DDP and war games. And then, lightning sounds. Sounds out of Dr. Frankenstein's lab start. Lights flicker. Smoke emitting from the stage in the ring. A large silhouette of a man. With smoke... Pyro, fire, surround him. And as the lights come on, as he approaches the ring, he gets in, and we hear the words, Talk to me, warriors! As Hogan's bottom lip quivers and cowers in fear of the warrior, the crowd is going bonkers. And I have to use that word. There's no other word to describe it. For all this, for everything Warrior says, including referencing their Mania match without technically saying it, Warrior wants to know who the other two with Hogan are. Disciple. Ah! He must be his barber. There's a nice little look from Hogan as he looks directly into the hard cam. He's like, okay, got me there. <laughs> Bischoff is a little man that doesn't actually run the company. Ooh, another another jab. So we got... These are good fourth wall breaks. I like this. Just wish the Warrior... <clears throat> 
would have cut this promo in half as it just dragged on and on and on. War, uh, let's see. Uh, Warrior says next week he intends to launch a revolution Hogan himself cannot control. Same warrior time, same warrior place, same warrior channel. And Static comes across the big Titantron and and uh, Smoke emits the ring. Warrior disappears. Hogan and Bischoff and Disciple are left baffled and confused and scared in the ring. On this singular day, I was, and excited, to see what's to come. Okay? This was cool. Yes, the promo dragged on. The crowd loved it. I was entertained. The Warrior's back. He's a big deal. I know what's to come. But for this one instance, this was cool. And as the symbol of the Warrior shows in the rafters. Much like Batman. (laughs) Don't rem- I didn't remember that at all. So we are 10 weeks away from the total freefall of WCW and never again winning a ratings war versus WWF Raw. Just a little tidbit there. So they're going to switch back and forth in the ratings for the next couple months here. And then... And that coincides with Kevin Nash taking over the book. Keep that in mind, guys. Malenko and Hedig in the ring for a match, as commentary tells us. Officially, Warrior is going to be on the team WCW with DDP. So, that answers my question of star power. And also references one year ago of Hennig causing mayhem at War Games when he joined the NWO. September 13th is War Games, so it's right around the corner. So, these two have a pretty good match. Hennig is back on his winning ways with the help of Rick Rude. They were a good duo that simply overran Malenko. Didn't mind this at all. Continue to build Hennig up while also building up uh, further the Malenko story waiting to bring the Horsemen back to make a successful group with the booking of Malenko and Mongo. I can't really argue with the story being told. Uh, it's it's the booking and the and the um, the way they pace it out. You know, it's it's long term story. It's it's it is working for me. I just hate Mongo McMichael. I just don't care about him. So, yeah, uh. I think Hennig, because of his war games last year, what he did, he's going to be in the match this year. There's a lot I don't remember. It makes it that much more fun when these things happen. Bagwell and Scott Steiner come out and still playing off the devastating, oh God, injury. Steiner is accompanied by what I can best describe as a mad doctor from like Scooby-Doo. Full blue loose scrubs, giant glasses, big frizzy curly hair, as Steiner walks with his entire left side, Wrapped in casts and, and bandages. I thought the Bagwell non-face turn was incredibly stupid at the time. I still think that. But goddamn, if I don't love this tandem. And to- I to- I've totally turned around on the duo of Bagwell and Steiner working. They are hilarious. So they cut a babbled nonsensical promo because it's fucking Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner. Rick Steiner comes out, plugs the fall brawl match, move on. So as Chavo, Stevie Ray, and Jericho come to the ring for a triangle match, commentary makes it clear that it's been 30 days since Booker has defended the title, so the TV title is officially vacant. They never acknowledged Stevie as champ in the first place, but did acknowledge that due to the series of matches between these three over the last 10 days has culminated to the point of Jericho being the champion and must defend the title here. 
That's what that's my understanding. So I think fair enough. I can more or less accept that. So they have a pretty sloppy match with anything to do with Stevie Ray. It's just hot garbage with him. Some inadvertent double teams Jericho and Chavo do, which was really funny. Jericho would say, yeah, let's team up. And then Chavo would run after Stevie Ray and get get pounced and Jericho would hang back. Uh, the finish is a ref bump, of course. Stevie Ray nightsticks Jericho, a uh, commentary reference that he did it on Saturday. Um, nightsticks Chavo, then the giant once again comes down, chokeslams Stevie Ray just like last week. So we got some continuity here. And then the ref does get up and he starts counting to 10. And Jericho gets the win and retains the Stevie t- TV title because he pulls the ref as Chavo's getting up like at him. So he doesn't see Chavo up. Chavo stumbles out of the ring because he's still clocked. And then Jericho gets to his feet before uh, the 10 count. And, uh, yeah, he retains. So, interesting, unique finish, to say the least. Question remains, what is the Giants' role with Jericho and Stevie Ray? Last three segments. Here we go. DDP versus Bret Hart for the U.S. title time. They work with DDP in control. And then Hart does a blatant DQ in front of the ref. Not a DQ. Well, that's confusing. I also wish WCW showed us a replay, again, of the U.S. title win. You know, do it during the entrances. They go about ten minutes and have a calculated match, as I can describe, till Bret Hart trying everything he can to get booed, to be a heel, whips Paige into the ref on purpose, big smile on his face, Hart pulls out the the hard rubber knucks out from his trunks and clocks DDP. But Bret Hart slowly tells us in the match, he doesn't want to simply beat Diamond Dallas Page. He wants to humiliate him. He wants to beat him mentally and psychologically. Make Page feel like he lost the match himself, very much referencing the promo from earlier tonight. So this is how the match, the finish goes down. Hart puts the Nux into the unconscious DDP's trunks, then pulls Paige on top of him, just like Hart did uh, weeks back in the match with, uh, with Benoit, if memory serves. Hart kicks out, throws some uh, ground punches on Paige, and then he just puts him in the sharpshooter, but he was too close to the ropes, and that was... From what I could, I could see by design. Page gets the rope break, and as they get to their feet, uh, there's a diamond cutter out of nowhere, further cementing that this move is the most deadly in WCW. Uh, so Page is in one corner. Hart's slow to slow to come to consciousness because he he did um because he was close to the ropes, his leg was under it, so Page had to kind of go ah shit. So. Bret Hart tells the ref he hit him with something and to check Diamond Dallas Page. Page, being a good guy and not thinking any the wiser, like he has nothing to hide, allows the ref to check him. And sure enough, the ref finds the Nux, DQs Page. Hart gets a big satisfying smirk on his face. The crowd boos heavily. Even Bret Hart at his peak babyface era could find a way to get booed. I was totally dialed in on this match and find this whole dynamic between the two very intriguing. I hope this leads to a big pay-per-view payoff with DDP finally getting one over on Bret Hart. I know I'm speaking nonsense, but we shall see. 
Michael Buffer does the intros for the main event. The giant with the disciple and Goldberg enters via police escort for the second time ever. Will this now become a thing? Kind of strange, it went almost two months between it happening again, and the second time seems kind of out of nowhere for no reason, unlike the locker room getting destroyed and protecting the main event. Anyways, they have a five-minute bout until Goldberg's spear coming after a giant suplex. Uh, Disciple hits the ring for a DQ, because of course, then gets a spear for his trouble. Hall hits the ring to beat up Goldberg, followed by Nash, whom boots the giant out of the ring. Hall avoids the oncoming spear, and Goldberg hits Nash again for the second week in a row. Nash no-sells the spear, basically, gets up relatively way too fast, gets in Goldberg's face just in time as Nitro goes off the air. So we got our Nash-Goldberg dissension. Uh, That's playing off quite well. So a very different Nitro vibe from the heavy title matches of Nitro last week. This was a Good show, overall, hyping up the Fall ball, fall Brawl pay-per-view with stakes for the congruent pay-per-views after that. The Eddie Guerrero promo was easily the worst part of the night and made no sense. Lots of con- continuity I could put together for everything, uh, continuing all the stories, building a full card for Fall Brawl. Wow, what a concept. I vastly enjoyed this Nitro, even though I had I did have some issues with it. But I'm once again looking forward to the next Nitro. Hey, we're on a two-week Nitro winning streak. How about that? Oh, that was a long Nitro segment. (coughs) (coughs) Yeah. Oh, man. 43-minute timestamp here in this recording. So let me just go through the wrestler rankings as I do the men first. Uh, Tim Thatcher, 15. 14's Okada. 13, Darby Allen. Uh, very good match against Chris Jericho. I was a fan. 12, Lucha Bros. 11, Liger. 10, Minoru Suzuki. 9 is Tony Depp. And look at this guy racking up some points in the late late part of the year. 8 is Private Party. 7, Joey Janela. Where else would he be? 6 is Chris Jericho with his couple matches on AEW Dynamite and his electric promo introducing the inner circle. I was there for it. It was awesome. He, uh... Stopped dead any WWE chance in its tracks. It was it was great. Got everyone in his group over. Five Young Bucks, four Will Ospreay, three David Starr, two Kenny Omega, one El Phantasmo. Yes, good old ELP gets all the points. Then on the women's side, it was it was a much weaker couple weeks. Ten Riho, nine Lufisto for uh, winning uh, Femme Fatales this year, the Queen of the Ring over in Germany, and then having you know. A match. <laughs> Night three. Seven, Emmy Sakura. Six, Shida. Five, Kagetsu. Four, Mercedes Martinez. The top four, I will say, was was quite difficult. But uh, three is Hanakamura. The highest I think she's been on the list to date. Two, Arisa Hoshiki. And one, B Priestley. I really had to contemplate the Arisa B one-two punch. But I think um, what... B. Priestley has been able to accomplish with the Red Belt and then get a match like that out of Hanakimura and vice versa. Uh, th- that's why I got over it for. So, <clears throat> we got a tight, tight, tight overall rankings table in 2019 with the exception of Will Ospreay at number one for the men. But everything else seems to be up for grabs. Uh, I don't think Tanahashi is going to stay in the top ten with not much left for him to do in 2019. 
So we could see some usurping here this year, uh, especially with all of the AEW events happening. We got Bucks, Lucha Bros, Cody, American Nightmare, Cody, Omega. They're all racking up points very quickly. And that was the episode, ladies and gentlemen. This was the Redleaf Retrocast, episode 42, Kings of the Tag Festival. Hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you next time.